welcome, welcome. You're listening to our podcast, Two Massage Therapists in a Microphone. My name is Mark. I'm a registered massage therapist, registered kinesiologist here in Toronto, Ontario, Canada. It's a Thursday night. What time do we got? 9.01. We just missed it by a fucking minute. That was all your singing random shit before we started. Whatever. This guy was singing the fucking Juicy Fruit commercial. I'm good. Yeah. Random is amazing. Smash a guitar. Weird is good. Don't they smash a guitar in that commercial? There's there's one when they're in a boat and the guy busts out the guitar and he and he starts singing the song and the other guy's like super fed up with it and he just like takes it and smashes it did i imagine that that's real i don't, I don't know i don't I, think it, I it, it that probably is real i could i can see that's accurate yeah, yeah i think it is accurate the skittles can have a man feeding him skittles with his own beard have you ever Juicy seen fruit can a, i don't know if it's a real skittles commercial but i've uh, seen it on youtube and maybe it's a european skittles commercial yes i know exactly what you're talking about <laughs> that was a real commercial was, was it the real? explosions were real <laughs> <laughs> yes and if you know the commercial, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Oh, disgusting. Hey, everyone. It's Amanda. And uh, we have a repeat guest sitting on our couch today. Some of you might remember Omar. Oh, I don't even know what episode he was on. But we invited Omar in originally to have a male perspective for the unprofessional hour. But he was just so goddamn interesting that we didn't even go down the unprofessional route. We nope. just talked. And we had a really cool discussion with him, but then decided we still want Omar's perspective on the unprofessional hours. We actually, so we we actually had feedback on your on your podcast. We did. We okay. got requests to have yeah, you back. Where someone's like, he had a lot of things to say. Can you have him back? I appreciate you. And I was like, fuck, I fucked that up because I probably talk way too much on that. No, nah, honestly, man, it's, it's, it's what happens. And we don't have enough open banter mm. between each other as professionals because mm-hmm. we're always working and totally we already know what it is but even as as friends i miss you guys i want to see you guys more for we real. miss you too and you know what i i used to think we don't have enough open banter but now that we record like two three podcast episodes a week i feel mm-hmm. like all i do <laughs> is, <open> is <laughs> chat with other rmts Good. and have this open banter and i love it it's so much fun so before we jump right into it, for anyone who didn't hear the original episode with Omar, I think you should really go back and listen to it because yeah, it was really interesting. Um, I'd love to give you the number, but I don't remember. There's too many. Um, Stand by. Keep going. <laughs> before we get into it, Omar, for those of those listeners who didn't hear it, can you sort of reintroduce yourself? Tell us a little bit about you and what you do now. Absolutely. Um, my name is Omar Lunan. I've been a massage therapist for about 14 years. I graduated from Centennial College. Shout out everybody who went to Centennial. Yeah. Um, <laughs> no one in this room put their hand. <laughs> Nobody. Um, shout out all massage therapists, but uh, of course, you know, Centennial, big piece of my heart. Um, I'm getting my bachelor's, God willing. By April, I will have my bachelor's of adult education and digital technology. Um, which means curriculum design, I can do that online, which is really exciting. All right. So what I do. Where'd, yeah. you, where'd you take that? Uh, or it's actually through, they changed the name. It's really annoying. It's now Ontario Tech. It used to be UOIT. Yep. Whatever. It's not my school. <laughs> I'm just, <laughs> as in I don't own it, I just go there. But it's such, an, it's, a, it's such a brilliant course. And I really feel, especially for people who feel like they want to go back to school, they want to, you know, get a degree, whether it's for themselves or to better their their opportunities or even just to just expand uh, opportunities in life. Um, Anything online as a course 
has been set up in such a way where it makes it very easy to manage classes and still live your life. Mm. Mm-hmm. It's, it's such a brilliant course. I'm, I'm really enjoying the journey so far. Do you love school? Are you that type of person that loves learning and loves school? I, I, I've always been a bit of a nerd, man. And I think my grandmother was one of the first people who helped instill that. Because she always, you know, she's one of those people who said, you know, gold and silver will tarnish away, but a good education will never decay. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I always understood that no matter what you learn, it will never decrease who you are. Mm. That and she loved Nat King Cole. Funny, I had this conversation today because he had impeccable pronunciation. <laughs> <laughs> Chestnuts roasting. On an open fire. Oh, I was hoping you would sing today. <laughs> but he, uh, anyway, does, she, just, does she feel the same way about Harry Belafonte? I th- absolutely. Uh, and Harry Belafonte is actually one of those uh, those gentlemen from the West Indies. Exactly. Who really has um, impeccable pronunciation and I think just enunciating, explaining. My grandmother wouldn't even let us call each other names. No, 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 no adjectives are adverbs. No, no. no. <laughs> <laughs> That's how she, if we fought with each other, no, no. No, Niam Khalid. No, no. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I definitely enjoy education. I, I, I love learning and I feel like the minute that you stop learning, you stop living. So you've also been a teacher. You've taught in massage therapy formally. I know you've taught some continuing education. Do you love teaching as much as you love learning? I do love teaching. And um, here's my disclaimer. I'm going to get very vulnerable when it comes to talking about the whole teaching aspect, only because I feel like to be a great RMT, you have to understand getting massages lets you experience the client perspective, which allows you to be a better therapist. Mm -hmm. If you don't like the way that somebody's moving, I actually had a treatment where I felt like, okay, well, this dude was using all elbows. And when I listened closely, it actually, I could hear him texting on his phone. Stop it. He was straight up using on their borders the whole time just so he could text. Wait, wait, when you heard texting, was it it like the the keyboard clicks from his phone? Because if so, that guy's a fucking dummy. Put your phone on fucking side. Oh, no, like I I actually heard him touching his phone. Uh, And I, I... I had an ethical dilemma where I could say, okay, you know what? The massage is done. I understand that like, you're not really paying attention to what I need right now. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. But I waited until the treatment was done. I was like, you know what? Thank you. Learn some stuff. But I'm going to tell you this with the door closed. Put away your phone. And that's mm. all I needed to say. He was embarrassed, but he knew that I knew. And, I'm, and I did it inside the room. I didn't want to take it out to make him embarrassed. or You know what I'm saying? Like, I, I'm going to give you that. I'm not going to be like certain regulatory bodies that will remain unnamed right now that will right now. pull you through the ringer for menial things. You are self-governing. You should be. You're a professional. You should understand what's going on. Mm-hmm. Focus on what's happening, bro. He's lucky it was you and not you know any other client who maybe was either having a bad day or who's the type of person that likes to send food back at a restaurant because that person would have caused a stink, would have said, I'm not paying for this, you know, would have embarrassed him in front of everybody in the clinic, right? Oh, Omar pulled up the episode. episode. That was. I don't know. I don't know numbers, but it is Monday night round table with Omar. And uh, the date on that is, if you scroll up a little bit, you'll see the date. The date on that is, hey, that's pretty fucking 
January 12th. Oh, wow. Yeah, that was a long time January ago. January 12th, 2019. That's not the last time we hung out with you, though, is it? No, no, no. Because no, I came, I came by to do a cupping course. Right, right, which right. Which is an amazing course. If you have not gone to Con Ed to do a course, you are wasting your life. Please <laughs> make sure that you come because the courses are amazing. These are two of my favorite, most well-educated friends that I have, and they're they're really passionate about massage therapy. You don't have many friends, eh? <laughs> 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 just y'all. They're not paying me for this either. I'm just saying. For real. No, it's not an ad. Oh. Um, yeah. Well, we love having people here who want to learn. We were having this discussion. I think it was, oh, it was on the podcast. We just did a recording recently with two therapists in Hamilton. And we were talking about the fact that even when uh, the CMTO changed the quality assurance program, and of course, the enrollment dropped for a little bit in some of our courses because people didn't know what was going on and people were right. confused. And we were saying what we love about the students who come here is they're not here for CUs and CU numbers. They're here because they want to learn something. Yes. They're here because they want to enhance their practice yes. in some way. So everybody who comes and takes a course here... I I don't think I've ever had a bad experience. Oh, there was somebody who walked <laughs> except out. that one time. <laughs> there was somebody <laughs> who didn't time. like what I had to say in a business course. She didn't agree with my perspective, which is fair. But instead of staying and having a discussion or a debate with me, she said this is bullshit and left. May I? <laughs> yeah, but that was a that was a weird situation to begin with. It was very. Uh, may I ask she... about what the specific issue was? That, yeah, that yeah, she yeah, yeah. Was a conflict. We were. Discussing... Well, wait, let's 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 do a little bit. Of background on that because that, okay. that was a weird situation it's a two-day course and it's a it's a long course it's probably about six 16 hours over two days so yeah, it runs eight, it runs two eight hour days mm-hmm. and uh we start relatively early in the morning like 9 30 in the morning she showed up late she didn't just show up late she showed up it was around like two hours she showed late. up around the noon hour yeah, yeah so she missed the whole first two sessions and in the first session is where we really kind of get into like changing your mindset that makes you open to changing your practice. So in other words, we're going to say a lot of things in this course that'll probably challenge the way you think about business and everything else. And the way that you believe your business is, you know, yeah. like it's it's about changing those limiting beliefs that are sort of stored in your subconscious. And we go through this whole like 90 minute session on how you have to be open for these changes to happen. So she missed all of yeah, that. Yeah, she missed that section. Mm-hmm. So when she did show up and then when we were going through, I guess you're going to talk about what we were going through, she was just kind of like, this is bullshit. And then she left. Like she walked out. Everyone's like staring at each other like, is she coming back? Like, what's <laughs> what just going, happened? What's going on here? <laughs> was that so, yeah. the same day that she was late? Yeah. yeah. So what it, what it was is we were discussing, um, we were sort of having a brainstorming session on what are you currently doing? Marketing initiatives that's working, what's not working, let's talk about it. And the whole purpose was for us to say, okay, what you're doing, not a bad idea, but what about this? And so she gave us an idea of what she was doing for her marketing. And both of us actually um, sort of gave her props like that's that's a really good idea. But maybe it's not working because of this, this and this. Maybe you should try this. And um, she kept okay, um, you know, she you kept know, let's, interrupting let's, me. Let's just do the detail on it instead of beating around the bush. She was she was saying how a part of her marketing strategy was to do reminder like postcards or whatever. Like she would, yeah, she get email, she'd get generic things printed from Vistaprint right? that but, she would mail out to her is, clients. But what what rubbed her really wrong was she was like, oh, I do that every six months, and that brings a lot of people back in that haven't been there 
in a while. And my suggestion was just by nature of you having to do that to remind people to come back in because they haven't been there for a while, we might be missing a big part of the puzzle. Mm -hmm. Like, why do you have to send a reminders every six months that people come back? If you had a slightly different marketing strategy, you might not have to employ this type of thing to remind people to come back. Mm -hmm. And then she just went off. Well, and then we started giving some more specifics. So for example, I said, maybe they need to be a little more personal. You know, if you're sending out generic cards to everybody, a lot of them are probably just ending up in recycling. You know, people tend to pay more attention to something if it is personalized or it'll look like you, you're taking an interest in them, right? So that was just one of the many suggestions we gave, but each one was sort of making her more and more upset. And what we were trying to say to her is, okay, we understand what you're trying to do, but she wasn't willing to open up her mind and listen. And the point is that at the very end of it, she said, um, so what, you want me to start kissing people's ass? This is bullshit. And she left. Yeah. Uh, it sounds like she was actually looking for... A reason to leave. <laughs> well, that, that, that too, but it really doesn't sound like she was open open to suggestions. She just thought she could come and add to what she had, as opposed to coming into the experience with an open mind and saying, okay, well, I don't know everything. I'm not. I'm not the guru of marketing or the guru of business and neither are we and this is the point right this was supposed to be more of an open discussion and anyway the point is of all of the years that we've been teaching courses that was the one time Mm. that somebody was unhappy with something she really (laughs) fucking missed my point and my point was if your marketing game is as fucking strong as you think it is you shouldn't have to send out reminders to tell people to come back if your marketing game is so strong that is something that doesn't need to be done because you're going to have this constant influx of people and repeat people all the time you don't have to do the i gotta remind people because they're always going to know if and i i totally get that and i just feel like if if she was not open to even constructive criticism before she came in this is exactly why she's reacting the way that she has yeah i I I mean we didn't we didn't take it too personally and we didn't get confrontational or anything and uh Eh, can't really win them all. Yeah, right? it's cool. Hey, you know what? I, not everybody uh, you can win over. It's very true. I'm okay with that. Yeah. You okay with I'm that? I'm not everybody's flavor, man. It's cool. I'm definitely not everyone's flavor. I mean, she has been back to take other courses. She has. Cool. Yeah. So yeah. she doesn't, it was just that moment that she didn't that she didn't appreciate. Yeah. And that's fine. And hey, maybe she's had some other epiphanies and some other learning opportunities. But enough about her. Back to me. What I was, uh, <laughs> <laughs> the reason I'm awesome is, no. As this far- <laughs> is why we invite you here. All right. So let's just get into it. So basically, when we do an unprofessional hour with somebody, we want to talk about all the shit, all the stuff that you wouldn't, you know, talk to your patients about, Mm -hmm. the stuff that you talk about with other RMTs, like weird fucking requests from people or just crazy off the wall clients, irate clients, um, anything completely unexpected. So before we even get into our generic questions, just from me saying that, Mm -hmm. is there anything that comes to the top of your head (laughs) that you want to talk about? There's a couple of them. Where do I start? The beginning. You know what? (laughs) The beginning. Um, You know what? Okay. So the first thing that came to mind was I actually called Mark recently and said that there was a colleague of mine. We were just talking in uh, in our waiting room at the clinic that I work at now, Mm -hmm. and um, I actually had one of my friends um, Candice, who came in to do another unprofessional hour. Yeah. Yes, we um, love her. Yes, she's an amazing, she was amazing so fun. human being, let alone um, RMT. But we were talking about the unprofessional hour, and and I believe that there was 
Um, some chatter online about somebody saying that they didn't enjoy all the F-bombs. There's a lot of There's that There's a lot chatter, of that, yeah. Right. And as okay we were talking about this, another RMT walked in who happens to be an older RMT. I mean, like 25 plus years in the game. Mm-hmm. And she came in and the first thing she was saying, well, excuse me, I'm just going to pipe up and just say that you know that you can get in trouble from the art from the CMTO if they happen to hear this podcast because it's it's unprofessional conduct. That's really what it is. It's unprofessional conduct. <laughs> and I'm like... Saying fuck? Is unprofessional well, conduct? It's, it, well, first of all, being an RMT, you're an RMT everywhere and yes. every time. It's, so if so you are not a person. No, it's actually, she's, this person is not entirely wrong. You're, I, I, which I, which is why she's I She's not I entirely to, wrong. I'm, I'm getting, I'm getting defensive. I, I, well, this is immediately what I was saying. I was, I was like, fuck this bitch. First of all, first of all, you ancient motherfucker. Can you just understand that we are just a bunch of RMTs having conversations with ourselves, yeah. with each other. Yeah. If I was at a barbecue and I and I happened to say shit, you're telling me that you are going to take me less seriously as a professional, as well, a colleague? I, th- I think what, this, I think what this person get was here. getting at, that in the Massage Therapy Act, they outline everything that is considered professional misconduct. Mm-hmm. And then there's a section that is titled miscellaneous. And in that miscellaneous section, talks about, it doesn't, I mean, it's the law, so it's really, really vague, right? And in the miscellaneous section, considered professional misconduct is behavior that is unbecoming of a massage therapist. What that definition is, no one can tell you. That's going to be that gray area that the CMTO can be at. Oh, which I don't like because those gray areas are what ended up getting me in trouble well, with the yeah. CMTO a long time ago. But this, is, but this can be a very real thing. So we had... Uh, a lawyer on and she her practice is primarily dealing with regulatory bodies and their members Mm -hmm. and we were talking about this unbecoming and she knew of a case where a medical doctor got charged with misconduct from his college because someone complained when he got into a verbal and physical altercation with a member of the general public at like a soccer game his kid's soccer game and he got charged for professional misconduct from his college of unbecoming Mm -hmm. of a physician and surgeon that i understand because when you are in when you are in the public and you are conducting yourself in the public with other people who are going to be considering your professional stature and who mm. you are that's different like i'm not going to go to my soccer game and I carry even, on like a moron i even think as that's, a human being i even still think that's a far stretch so what i brought up to the lawyer is i said okay listen let me let, let's take this one step further i'm a massage therapist i deal with disrobed bodies all the time would unbecoming of a massage therapist be me at a strip joint i'm at a place that sexualizes bodies mm-hmm. is that would that be considered unbecoming she didn't really have an answer she's like oh maybe that's a far stretch and i'm like mm, i think the doctor and the physical and uh, verbal altercation at the soccer game was more of a stretch than me at a bachelor party hanging out getting lap dances sexualizing naked bodies when i deal with naked bodies all fucking day so long. when you're a massage therapist you can't partake in any kind of like sexual activity whatsoever. You no, can't I sexualize mean, a body. That's like, not that's not what I'm saying, but I'm saying that's closer to unbecoming of a massage therapist than this dude's freaking slight shoving match and some some I don't know, swears. Because when there's but when game. there's a physical altercation, well, okay, look at all the circumstances together. It's a physical altercation. Like again, as a professional, you should have a little more restraint than to be getting violent and physical with another member of the public. And also, was this a kid soccer? game how big were these kids it was a a youth event well the point is then you're just i know that i role model is not the right word but you've got younger 
people around and you're behaving like a moron. Well, the bottom line is when you're when you're a regulated healthcare professional and you're you fall under the RHPA then you you can never take off your professional hat. Th- this this is what and this is right. this is where the gray area sits because from the RHPA perspective or your regulatory body, you must conduct yourself in a way that people when they see you aren't going to be able to question your professionalism. And you have to really think, I mean, if you are regis- if you are registered with the province, whether you're a police officer, whether you're a lawyer, whether you're a, an RMT, a nurse, whatever, you are one of those people that Others are going to look to for help, which mm-hmm. means that you need to be some sort of example. I get that, but I'm also a human being. So right. if I'm out, I'm not going to, I mean, hey, if I want to go out and throw on a bow tie and, you know, do cartwheels like Party Boy in, in Jackass and be completely <laughs> drunk like a, you know, like a, like a, like a goof, that's, that's on me. Then that's not me respecting my professional stature. But at the same time, I'm a human being. If I'm on vacation, if I'm in Cancun and I want to do that, you're telling me that I'm going to lose my license? Well, I think it also depends if you are identifying yourself as an RMT. I know it doesn't say that in that gray area, but if you're just a random drunk ass person on the street in a bow tie doing cartwheels, how does anybody know you're a massage therapist? Well, I think, well, that's, that's the weird bottom line is that it's, it's absolutely insane to think that the college can have some control of your behavior, your activity when you are not acting as a therapist. But the way the law is written, I know it's so great because you know what? This goes back to a conversation I was having with our mutual friend last night. Um, If you're listening, shout out because uh, I know that she is only about four episodes behind, so Mm -hmm. she will listen to this. Uh, (laughs) But her and I were talking about the whole idea of professionalism because she says she totally agrees with Mark and I say about how it's not about how you dress or how you like that doesn't doesn't equal professionalism. It's the way you show up for your patients. It's the way that you take care of them. It's It's that's that's all what your professionalism is. And she said the only place that I think RMT, specifically a female RMT, needs to think about it is exactly this idea of sexualizing. And I agreed with her to an extent. I have RMT friends who on their um, like public Instagram page, so the one that their clients can see, the ones that they're promoting themselves as an RMT, are posting pictures in skimpy little bikinis with you know their breasts all hanging out. And I'm like, yeah, you know, I feel like in an industry where we already complain about being sexualized, the females specifically, maybe you shouldn't be putting your whole body out on display in a way that's overtly sexual. That can be a little bit unprofessional, I think. However, I wouldn't say that you should be like charged or wait, like wait, lose wait, your wait. license. Is, but it, is a bikini overtly sexual? Just I, I'm talking about the whole picture, how the posing is, the wording in the comments that it's there's ways to post a picture of you having fun on a beach in a bikini or and there's ways to post like look at me in this bikini. Yeah and, and that it's in itself is a great area. Exactly. Because if you're if you're promoting your business and then uh, wearing bikinis, you have to try to draw that parallel. You have to be able to say, okay, well, am, am I here because, hey, I'm highlighting how flexible I am because of thanks to massage. <laughs> I don't know. I'm trying to look for a parallel. Well, no, you can but absolutely you, you have to be post, very careful. But you can absolutely post parts of your personal life. And we always say you should actually do you should. that. You should humanize absolutely. yourself. Yeah, if, you're, your if you're promoting your, your, your business, you should also humanize yourself because that further connects your your audience to you, right? But I'm talking about the people, as I said, you know, like – 
basically nothing covered except the parts that absolutely have to be covered. And then, you know, with the the duck face and the ass out. And I'm like, okay, you're trying to look stance. a certain way. The horse yeah. stance. You're trying <laughs> right. to look a certain way. You're trying to look in a sexual way. Are you trying to get followers? Or are you trying to get clients? Right. Pick, pick, and pick that's, that's the part where I was like, yeah, you know what? I agree with you that I feel like that is the only area where I'd say, as a professional, I wouldn't do that, especially, again, because I work in an industry where a lot of the females, I'm not saying men don't get this as well, but a lot of females, we're already like concerned about being looked at as sexual objects. And so right. I wouldn't, I would never do that. I would not like objectify myself on a public Instagram. On my own page, if I want to post pictures of myself in a bikini, cool. I wouldn't do that either. And, and again, I'm, I'm not <laughs> I, I'm not taking away from anybody who wants to put up pictures of themselves. Like, no, no, no. I, I, all I'm saying is if... If you are going to do that, then be very aware of the people who may objectify you or even all the sensitive people like our 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 colleague who had the conversation about, you know, hey, well, you shouldn't be doing this podcast because if somebody from the CMTO hears it and gets upset, blah, 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 everyone's going to have an opinion. Everyone's going to think, OK, well, this is bad or this is not bad or whatever. And uh, just to sort of backtrack, since everybody's sensitive as hell about everything in the world. Oh, and it's such a... <laughs> <laughs> I, I I know I was absolutely joking when I was calling her an ancient motherfucker. She is not. She is a lovely she's human almost, being. She's almost ancient. <laughs> she's she's a lovely human being, absolutely beautiful um, individual, very knowledgeable. And I do respect her perspective. She can still be an ancient motherfucker and all those things. You can be just, an ancient yeah, motherfucker. I'm just, look, I'm not trying to go out like R. Kelly, like Cosby, like Weinberg. <laughs> I'm going to go down the list of everybody who I'm not going to be. So nobody comes back and is like, you know what? He used this, this, this term incorrectly. All right, well, you know what? I'm covering my bases so <laughs> shalom to you <laughs> how about that i'm gonna have it all well, well, I'm, I'm in trouble then <laughs> either way i guess just my wrapping wrapping that up um i see both perspectives but at the end of the day if we cannot as professionals have open forum to speak with each other about anything and everything if it's why we yep. you've titled it the unprofessional hour if we cannot even feel safe in a safe moment in a safe hour, then what? what's the point? And I really don't feel, I personally don't feel, especially reading more and more um, about the CMTO's stance and what they're actually looking to do. In the grand scheme of things that are going on in the world, this is not a problem. Oh, for sure not. If you really are sitting at your desk and look and scouring the internet and listening to moments to figure out how to be able to nail someone to the wall about using an F-bomb on a podcast at 9.27 p.m., you live a very lonely life, my friend, straight up. <laughs> if the president of the United States can say the things that he says. What? With his orange ass. And <laughs> I and I can't say fuck because it's unprofessional. Right. Like, I don't, I don't, I, I got right. nothing. I well, got nothing. we can argue that up and down that it's not unprofessional. But we actually had this conversation when we were out in Hamilton with those two other RMTs. Mm -hmm. And uh, one of them, his name's Scott. And he brought up the idea of like, you know what? It really bothers me how we're in an age where people feel it's their right to be rude. Mm -hmm. And uh, and then to combat that, I was like, you know, it's a weird dichotomy on that whole thing is we are also in an age or a time where you have to be so fucking politically correct. It's such a weird thing. You have the you, you have the freedom to feel like you can be rude, but you also have to be politically correct at the same time. Like we watch Friends a lot on on uh, Netflix, just reruns and shit, right? Mm -hmm. And we were watching the other day, and the amount of fucking gay jokes 
that are yeah. on, and that's on Friends. Mm-hmm. I'm like, this shit can't air today, 2019. That can't air on NBC or CBS or ABC the way it used to and get accepted the same way. Not the way they make jokes about that shit. It's true. Yeah, it's very true. It's insane. Everyone's gone so fucking PC. But has everyone gone so fucking PC? Because we get a lot of positive feedback on this unprofessional hour mm-hmm. shit and the way we talk. So really, but it's because we're not saying anything offensive. We drop an f bomb here and there, but we're not actually. We don't discriminate against anybody. We're not being. We're not being dicks to anybody. In fact, our entire message is always stop being so fucking judgmental. Stop being a dick. Stop being rude. Treat people like people. And I think that's why nobody really has a lot of hate for us. There's the few people that hate how much we swear. And I'm okay with that because it's not for everybody. But I think there's a lot worse things in the world than to worry about how many times I say fuck. Even if my kid were to say fuck, not that I want that happening. I don't want her running off to school and swearing. But even if she did, I still think there's so many worse things that she could be doing. She's such a good fucking kid and she's kind to people. I got feedback from one of her teachers one time saying everybody loves her because she's like everybody's best friend and she's very nurturing and she's kind. And um, go ahead. Say fuck, little girl. I don't care. I'd I'd be upset if she walked around saying fuck. Well, (laughs) She's five. But the whole point is there's so many <laughs> worse things. Like if we're going to nitpick on language, it's a word. Right. It doesn't have to mean anything. Yeah. It's a word. Like yeah. who cares? Let's worry about the content and what we're actually saying. Is anything we're saying hateful? Not at all. And in the grand scheme of things, yes, as professionals, we're, we're stuck. We're, we're always going to be stuck in a very, very weird place. It's a, it's, there's a big dichotomy where – you know what, you want us to, I'm not trying to give anybody white coat syndrome, but yes, we have to make sure that our language and the way that we conduct ourselves in the office, and if people are talking about our profession, that we can show them that we know what we're talking about mm-hmm. in any forum, whether it's with doctors, with chiros, we know what we're talking about. And if somebody were to come to us and we had to work in a multidisciplinary setting, we all understand what our parts are and how I can compliment you with the things that I'm doing through my through my scope of practice. But on the other side, it's like, all right, well, do I want, I don't want to be that stuffy, you know, I'm walking in with a collared shirt and a tie individual. I can come in if I want to wear jogging pants or shorts to work, I'm going to do that. And I'm going to talk to, you know, my clients in a way that they get me. Mm-hmm. Not every client wants me to speak to them like I'm about to give them a prescription for penicillin. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I, I want to be able to be like, hey, how you been? How's, how's your vacation? What's popping? What's going on? It's good to see you. You want to be a person. I want to be and a that's, human being. that's the whole point is we are human beings. We are people. And... I totally understand, as I said right from the beginning, I understand when somebody just can't listen to it Mm -hmm. and it's offensive to them because I think there's certain language that probably makes me uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. There would be certain jokes that might make me uncomfortable, maybe. I don't know. I might have been living with Mark too long that I'm over that. But (laughs) You're over it. I, I get it. I just don't think that there's a need to label us as unprofessional or to say that we're doing any kind of disservice to the profession, because I think it's the exact opposite. I Mm. think we're letting other therapists know you can be real people. I think we do bring value with a lot of the episodes. I think we're bringing good information. We have like amazing guests on here who Mm. share their knowledge and I don't know. I don't see anything wrong with anything we do. I also think generationally, generationally, wow. Generationally. (laughs) Somebody needs sleep. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. I don't get it, man. It's like, like you've never seen a stand-up fucking show? 
You, you, well, only, yeah, you, you don't but, watch rated those, R movies. But, like you've never absolutely. seen but Richard, those Richard people, Pryor, Richard Pryor, Eddie those Murphy, those people are expected to be vulgar. Those people are expected to say we things that are going to jo- drop your job. It's not the evening news. Oh, the podcast episode is called the Unprofessional Hour. I'm actually going to change the name to the Unfucking Professional Hour, <laughs> just because. I agree with you that. None of what we do. We even actually we used to start every episode with a disclaimer. We just stopped doing it because mm. it was getting old. But we used to start every episode with "Don't take anything we're about to say seriously. This doesn't affect our professionalism. We're still very good at what we do. This is all just for entertainment. Like sit back and enjoy." We used to start every episode that way so that people would know, like, this is not how we conduct ourselves with our clients. Right. I don't tell my client to get on the fucking table. Right. <laughs> Although right. I might start. <laughs> uh, um. I feel like there was another there's another point that did come up. I, um, I, I do want to ask though. Yeah, sure. The ancient motherfucker. Like how did that conversation end? Uh I think everybody just walked away, man. They're just <laughs> like, you just you buzz killed the entire shit. <laughs> For real. Like we were up first of all, no one invited you to the picnic. And you fully just walked in and just put in your two cents and no one was trying to buy anything with your two cents. So I just walked out and I was like, you know what? I appreciate your perspective. I think I will look into that a little bit further. You are it. so politically correct, my friend. I, you know what? I feel like tact is a very important thing. Yes. Um, yes. But I also, I've perfected the diplomatic fuck you. It's a beautiful thing. I worked at Telus for many years, so when people were on the phone rambling and telling me, like, if you call me, you. oh, for real, for real, <laughs> when you call me and ask me for a solution, I will give you one, but it may not be the solution that you are looking for. The customer is not always right. I'm sorry. The customer is right when it's like, you know what? We were in the wrong. Let's fix that. But if you're calling me about a policy and I tell you the policy and it's not what's fitting what you thought was going to happen... I'm I'm not going to bend over backwards to make the policy change. So, for example, you you I had a gentleman who uh, said that he was using his phone, got a brand new phone. It wasn't working at all in his in his house. You know, brand new phone. You know, it should be working. And I'm like, okay, how about this? Four walls and a roof. It's a physical barrier. No matter what, that can impede you using your phone. It's a mobile phone. When you're home, you use a landline. That's what you're supposed to be using at home. When you have a mobile phone, you're supposed to be using that when you're out and about. So if you're walking, let's say you're walking down the street and your phone doesn't work. Do we know if there are buildings, trucks, somebody's satellite TV that could be interfering with your signal? We provide the signal. That's it. And he got so upset that he, he said, you know what? Check this out. Akbar. He called me Akbar. Akbar. Oh, right. Wh- whipped his phone against the wall so I could hear him whip his phone against the wall. Brand new phone, mind you, which has a return policy, which has now been invalidated because you were a dick and decided to break it because you were that angry, and then came back and said, okay, well, now you guys can replace my phone. So I just very calmly and peacefully said, I appreciate the fact that you called and you wanted me to do something for you. But if you buy a brand new piece of equipment and then destroy it, the responsibility is on you to fix it. I want to help you, but there's nothing more that I can do. So is there anything else you'd like to tell me before I end the call? Diplomatic fuck you. Was, and you can and you sweet. can curse and you can carry on, you can say whatever you want, but I've I've already asked for your your the last bit of opinion before my next step, which is leaving your ass. I don't want to hear anything else from you. You've already made the mistake. <laughs> I can't help you now. I can't send anybody to check out your signal because that's what they're gonna need. Your phone. <laughs> ja- <jackass. laughs> so you know what I'm saying? And and that's I think um 
just you know again back to that that whole situation about the discussion i'm always open to listening to opinions and things that that i perspectives that i may have you know that have may have been under the radar as far as massage therapy is concerned there's a lot to read always and there are always things that are changing mm-hmm. because we're trying to streamline the profession to get a better understanding of how we should conduct ourselves in a healthcare profession that's always changing so yeah, I mean, g- g- give it to me. Let me know. But if I feel like mm, I'm a walk away from this, and this is gonna this is gonna turn into a weird situation, I will just find the the, the kindest way to bow out respectfully. And I feel like we need to do that. But I also think there's a lot of misinformation about the profession amongst professionals. Um, I went to a class for um, it was a professionalism class, a professionalism mm-hmm. course. The instructor was talking about. Um, you know, like ethical uh, ethical dilemmas. So, for example, if somebody comes in and you turn them down for being drunk, and somebody actually raised their hand and said, "You can actually turn down a massage if someone was drunk." Mm-hmm. Okay, so there there are lots of gray areas where there shouldn't be, mm. from from a policy perspective, from treatment perspectives, from you know, you, we can run the gamut. And this is you know, this comes down to teaching. And the, where you get taught, who teaches you, it should all be like if everybody is given the same cake mix, your cake is going to be different, but the instruction should be exactly the same. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. A bicep is a bicep. You know what I'm saying? A, 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 a shortened Z line in a muscle is a shortened Z line. Um, somebody having issues with um, calcium uptake or magnesium uptake or muscle firing or any of these things. This is all part of things that we should understand when it comes to dealing with the body. The body is the body is the body. How to treat it and the techniques, this is where things differ. And even some of the content which is supposed to be conveyed is not conveyed properly. So I'll give you an example. A few of the schools that I I taught at, some of the private schools, I love private schools, especially because they allow people the ability to say, okay, well, if I don't, if I don't have the ability to go to school for three years, let me do it in two. I've had schools who do it in even less, Yep, which is a little scary because it's really cumbersome. The the average individual, if we're going to talk Bloom's taxonomy for a moment and just nerd out. Um, if we talk, if we think of a triangle or we think of a pyramid and we break it down into different layers, you know what I'm saying? The top floor, second floor, third floor, fourth mm-hmm, floor, fifth mm-hmm. floor. At the top floor, the smallest um, peak of that pyramid, let's say, represents 5 to 10%. The, uh, in, in terms of taxonomy or Bloom's taxonomy, it talks about the different skills that you have to employ to be able to get a more well-rounded understanding of uh, a topic, or if you're teaching, so let's say you are going to do a lecture. I know everybody's been in a class where you talk, where you listen. You could be there for an hour or three hours, and you walk out and you're like, "I don't know what the hell that motherfucker just said <laughs> for the whole class." <laughs> Holy shit! I just wasted my life. It's because you only will retain five percent of information if it's a lecture, only five to ten percent. And the more things that you do, okay, have a discussion. That now raises it to 15%. You know what? I'm going to give you an article to read before you come to class, before we talk about it. I'm going to give you the opportunity to write a paper. I'm going to give you guys a project to do inside the class or an activity to do. The more things that you do, the more you retain. So you mean when I was sitting in class in massage school and my instructor was just reading from the RHPA to me, I wasn't retaining anything? Absolutely. You weren't You weren't paying attention to a motherfucking thing except wah, 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 wah. Oh, real. were you there? I, I, that might have been my voice. <laughs> I'm just saying. But I think when it comes to you know, private schools and allowing the opportunity to, for people to save money and 
um, graduate faster, mm-hmm. it's awesome. Yeah. Here's my problem. Going to a program that was three years, I feel like I still could have learned a lot more. I don't see, like, hats off to anybody who went to school who did a program less than three years and is doing amazing because I, maybe it's just the way that I learned and maybe, hey man, it, it was it was a lot. Like patho, neuro, physio, like all everything and having to make sure that it, you all understood it before you got into the working world. So for somebody to do it in less than two years, imagine going to a doctor Normally, they got to go to school for four years. Okay, well, you did your course in a year and a half. How much of that did you really retain? You understand what I'm saying? I guess and it depends on the on the person. Like, we yeah. recorded with a girl. Um, she's working in Hong Kong. Her episode's coming out very soon, maybe today, maybe tomorrow. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Probably but tomorrow. she, um, like Mark and I, I, I again, it's... It sounded very conceited when we were talking about it. Actually, if you listen to the episode, please don't hate us. But we were talking about the fact that the three of us all went to university prior to going to massage school. Mm -hmm. So I guess it does make sense in what you're saying, because I don't feel like I only went to school for 22 months, which was the length of my program. Mm -hmm. I went to school for four years and studied the body exclusively. Mm -hmm. And then I went to massage school for 22 months. So when I was in school for those 22 months, I actually felt like it, sometimes I felt like it was going slower than I wanted to. Like, yeah. I was like, I like I know this. Okay, come on. I know this. I know this. Right. And I had this one anatomy instructor and people fucking loved her. And I mean, she was great. I'm not saying she wasn't, but she was teaching to somebody who had never learned anatomy, right? Mm. Which was a lot of people in my class. So I understood it. But to the few of us that had learned anatomy before... My eyes were crossing. I was so bored. Bored I'm as like, hell. oh my God, now, please. This is, this is also what I'm saying. Like for you in that particular situation or that class, it wasn't useful. And that for, from an instructor's perspective, you have to be able to understand how to see what the dynamic is, how to be able to get the interaction and have people prepared before they come in. So when you come, everybody's not bored or be able to do you know, be able to shift what's happening in the class so everybody feels like, okay, I'm involved, I'm engaged, we're good. But I think my my issue, just talking about the length of the schooling, the, the variables that now become a problem are, one, how to be able to facilitate the information so everybody gets it. Two, are you making sure that your your students are getting enough hands-on time and they're comprehending what's going on? Well, okay. So in schools that do it in, in a year's time, typically what they're doing is they're they're doubling up the class time, right? So mm-hmm. instead of having a four-hour day, you now have an eight-hour day. Mm-hmm. So the amount of time that you're actually spending on the material, it, physically learning it or whatever the case is through lecture, it's it actually ends up being the same. It's still going to be however many X amount of hours of instruction that you have at the end of the day. But I do feel the same way that, that, that you felt in your class. Like I totally understand like why you're moving moving at this slow pace because I went to school the same thing I have my kin degree from York um, I went to a school that did it in 16 months mm-hmm. to be honest with you I probably slept through the majority of school because it just moved at a pace that wasn't for me I actually had the anatomy instructor come up to me at the end of her class because she had to wake me up everyone else had left and I'm sitting there and sleeping and she's like is there something wrong like am I boring and I was like no offense I've just I, I know this material and it I know that it's not you it's it's, it's it's not you. It's, it's me. It's not you. It's, 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 you, not really, you. it's, it's not you. It's me. Your anatomy instructor. <laughs> you know what? I, I totally can, did. I'm, I'm going to get a little bit more specific, yeah. just because. Um, so there were two particular schools that I had to walk away from. Yep. Mm-hmm. One in one, I I was teaching at the 
bottom line, the the material and how it was. <sighs> Just say it, man. The material that the students and the instructors ha- had were pretty much the same. Okay. Every all the instructors that were hired were just like, okay, well, you're teaching this class, and they had to actually create. Like, even though you have, all right, well, this is how many weeks you're supposed to teach this stuff. This is all the material you had to fish through all the stuff and figure out. Okay, well, how am I going to make this a cohesive class? Mm-hmm. And so there was no lesson plans or anything given to you guys. Oh, it was man. just teach this, all of this jumbled material. What I'm imagining is like when I go to my accountant with a shoebox full of receipts. Figure it out, dude. And and then say, oh, well, we actually have all the material so we can afford to, because we've already done the work, we're only going to pay you this much and, you know, make, make it happen. On top of that, the students are barely reading the material. They show up. They, you know, they, they get, they want all the hands-on time. And then when you do an exam, you try to have a sliding scale on the exam to be like, well, you know, well, they tried this and I think they can explain that. So just bump up their mark. <laughs> and it, the thing that really pushed me over the edge as far as that school was concerned was, and I think I might've mentioned this in the last podcast, cause it really rubbed me the wrong way. There was a senior student who was about to graduate in their clinic. They had a, a client who came in who had severe ankylosing spondylitis. Mm-hmm. So she literally had to turn her entire body to speak to you. When I, uh, as clinic director, I had to walk through, the, you know, and, and check in and make sure everybody's, right. you know, if anybody has any questions, help them with techniques, whatever the case may be. I walked in and this woman is on the table with no pillows. There was no blanket and, you know, doing um, lots of P to A work while this individual's on the table with zero support. And I... If, if if I could have been physical with him, I would have. But I just sort of was like, okay, let me, can we do something? This is the tact coming in. Can we do something to uh, support the body a little bit more uh, before I show you some, some other techniques? Cool. So helped her get the pillows on the table, put the blanket on as well. And when I spoke to the head of the school, he totally like brushed it all aside. Like it was like, oh, no, that's that's no big deal. And it's just like, you know, well, not everybody practices with blankets. Like I know that my school, I didn't use blankets. And I'm like, dude, that's in the standards of practice. Like it's, I don't care if you, well, I don't think a blanket is possible. Well, first of all, you have a female on the table. And if she is okay with you staring at her body through a thin linen, maybe she gave you that consent from before. But it's one of those things that you want to make sure that you employ because we're making sure that we're protecting the public of, at, at all costs and you want to make sure that you are seen as, as as a professional and they know what's going on but also not understanding the condition that the client came in with in which you should position her properly so you can do your work effectively come on of course he graduated from the school he's fully registered with the cmto now these types of things frustrate me to no end because if an if 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 a private school is going to take it upon themselves to hold up the CMTO standards and the ministry standards, you better make sure that you're doing it right and not just having people come through as as a, as a money mill. D- don't do it, man. Because when they come to someone like me, and they're trying to learn stuff and they feel like they they understand what they're doing, and I'm like, nah, son, that's that's not it. That is not it. Now now who who is going to end up losing? that person because they weren't given they weren't given the tools that they needed to be successful now there's two questions now who is who is to who 
has to take the brunt of the responsibility for this student having a shitty learning opportunity? Is it the school or the CMTO for graduating them? So one, every every massage school is going to have to uh, develop their curriculum based on the CMTO competencies, right? And that's so, school number two. So get let's, to that say, let's say they do that. And then this once this person graduates the school and they're going and writing their um, entry to practice exams and they're doing their OSCE and they're doing all this stuff with the CMTO, if they pass then in my opinion, then that's on the CMTO. Mm-hmm. It, it, exactly. it shouldn't, it doesn't matter where you get so your diploma. If, you're gonna if you s- can pass the exam, then you obviously knew enough, according to the CMTO, I... you had enough knowledge to be safe and somewhat effective and you are ready to go into practice. Mm-hmm. So when you say that the that student wasn't successful, well, they actually were successful. They were. They got through. They they, they were able to do what they need to do. And a maybe ankylosing spondylitis <laughs> wasn't on the registration exam. <laughs> but I tell you, he got zeros across the board for that one human being in a day. And I'm like, if this is somebody who's got advanced concerns, I'm really worried about what's going to happen. So do on. you think that? There are way too many massage schools. Do you think that there are way too many massage students? I I don't believe so. I think the schools are schools that are opening are reflective of need. And if we know how many need or opportunity, a little bit of both. Because I mean, opportunity, you know, opportunity to you know be an entrepreneur, look for other ways to um to take care of your own life, you know, to be fruitful in in whatever business that you choose. No, I I think it's I think it's mostly opportunity because there are. How many massage schools? Are these classes full? No, we were just talking to another person who has taught. You and I have both taught and we've taught to classes of eight, nine, 10, 12 students. Well, we could be teaching, there could be fewer schools teaching to classes of 30, 40, 50 students if we wanted to go that high. Mm-hmm. It's it's not based out of need. It's opportunity because there's a lot of people applying to this profession um, and there's an opportunity to run this program. So does, and it's a popular program. Does massage therapy need less schools, more competitive to get into school, and just kind of clean up the industry that way? If I may, I think to answer that question, I think what everybody has the right to open whatever they want. Okay. Open a bakery, open up school, open whatever. But I think, sure. I think, um, like I said, the second school, actually, I'm going to preface this answer with the other problem. The second school that I was asked to do curriculum design for, mm-hmm. um, same thing. They just had a bunch of no. They gave me a bunch of books, had a bunch of notes, and said, "Okay, teach these subjects." But there was no lesson plan. There was no curriculum. There was no like nothing that you would expect if you go to university and get your first, you know, your first booklet in each class. Will tell you these are the course objectives. These are the lesson plans for each week. Yeah, you know exactly what you're doing. Hence None why I could sleep above. through enough university classes because I knew what was happening that day. <laughs> right, but what they gave me, what was I, I was told that the the here's the the program. What they had as their curriculum was on the CMTO. So if you're going to open a program on the CMTO you can actually see exactly what the requirements are from the ministry and from the CMTO that tells you exactly what things you need to teach to, for somebody to be successful in a massage therapy program before they can actually leave your institute to take the registration exams. Mm-hmm. So they took that information, copied it, and under each postulate put test, project, exam. Submitted it, and they were approved to open a school. All right. See what I'm saying? So I'm not going to be confident. Any idiot, my my favorite instructor in the world, the man who gave me the confidence and the opportunity to really love teaching, 
Shout out Mark Fox, who is an instructor at Centennial College. Love that man. And honestly, he's changed a lot of lives. Um, he, he Sitting down with him, he said, you know what, man? Any idiot can be good with their hands in a year or two. But it takes somebody who's really good at their profession who can step back and say, I'm not the, I'm not the only person that you're going to need to see to get this sorted and get this taken care of. And know who else to be able to delegate to get that client help. That shows a greater respect for them and for your profession. So now you've got a bunch of people who are leaving the school and they're like, well, it's only 70 some odd weeks anyway. They're not taking the material as serious. Or maybe they are and they want more and they know that it's a crap school. But the school is also like that particular school was mad at me because I'm like, okay, I'm actually going to need five times the amount of money because you don't have a program. You don't have a program, let alone curriculum for each of your courses. So I have to design all of this. And they just thought I was, you know, trying to trying to scam them because, oh, well, we have a school and you think we have money. No, I'm trying to tell you that from a professional standpoint, you have nothing to teach. You have a bunch of books. I have to sit down and create. I have to take these six books and turn them into a 14-week lesson plan and make sure it's cohesive and then add the hands-on and give them stuff to do to come back that I can that I can test them on. So n- no program. There was no evaluation. There was nothing. And I had to walk away from that one too because I'm like, man, I, I, I hope that, that, some, that someone's going to speak to you enough that you'll understand. So to answer the question, do we need less schools or do we need no? I think we need to make sure that all the schools that are opening are held to a a universal standard. So when people look at their curriculum, it's actually not just somebody saying, oh, they got the stuff and just check it off. No, no, no. If you are going to do a lesson plan, all of these things make sense in terms of what you're going to be teaching. And as long as that standard is consistent with all of the schools... We're good. My assumption is that it's going that way. Um, We definitely took like a huge turn there. This all started, if you guys remember, because we were talking about the fact that there's so much gray area amongst the profession Uh because Mm -hmm. people aren't getting the same level of education. Now, as all three of us have worked in education, um, yes, I do believe there needs to be a little bit more... Uh, cohesiveness in terms of what the schools are teaching. But as I said, I, I believe it's going that way with the accreditation process and everything. I believe that there's going to be a little bit higher standards at the schools. I slightly beg to differ. I'm but- hoping that also at some point, maybe the CMTO recognizes some flaws because again, these, as you said, these people are passing. I know that I had a student when I was a clinic supervisor and it was laughable. Like every week, I would actually come home and just laugh about it because every week I would give him the same feedback, the things that he was sort of not doing correctly or the things that needed improvement. Mm -hmm. And it was the same things every week. So each time I'm telling him like, don't you remember we discussed last week? Don't you remember we talked about this? And the next week it would be the same thing. So it got to a point where I would just laugh. I'm like, I can't even like, how do you still not get this? And I remember when I left that job because I was going on maternity leave, a few weeks into my maternity leave, I get a text message from this student. Guess who's the newest RMT? I threw my phone. Right. And I mean, not as aggressively as the person on the phone. <laughs> but I threw yeah. my, I was like, are you fucking kidding me? Like, this guy, I was certain this guy would never become a therapist. So obviously there's some holes with the licensing where this guy, like, I would never have trusted him with a body. 
Like nobody, I would I would not go to him as a client, and yet he's walking around as a RMT, and you know people are shitting on me for saying fuck. Maybe you hold <laughs> uh, the profession to a higher standard than the governing body does. Well, and that's that's the thing is it. Depends. Maybe we're all thinking way too much of what a massage therapist is and should be. You know what? I and think we should all bring it down a notch. I think the governing body does have a standard, but I think the standards in which that we're held to are not being scrutinized enough. So. They are not as involved in the process as in like if they went to the school, if it wasn't just the ministry that they had to go through, if they had to go through the CMTO to get to to get opened as an accredited school. They just have to register and say that they've gone through the ministry and done what they've had to yeah, do. Yeah, but like like Amanda was saying, though, at the end of the day, if a student goes to a shitty place and has shitty education, then they should be failing a licensing exam. But they're, yes, not. But they're not. What so I'm also, there is the problem. But what I'm also saying, aside from recognizing that problem, but the CMTO should have more of an active role in checking out, okay, you have your curriculum done. Let's have our education specialists look through it to make sure that everything that we require But if the licensing done, exam, the filtering system, is doing its job if you ended up going to a shitty school mm-hmm. or forget the shitty school because you can be a great student go to a shitty school learn the information whatever and, the case. and do well be so successful, the yeah. bottom line is if the the final filter is your licensing exam and we're sitting here saying there are people that are walking around that have the title registered massage therapist that probably shouldn't because there's a lack of knowledge there then that filtering system is the problem well and it's also though i mean to defend the CMTO a little bit, I guess. Nothing's wrong is with that. The filtering system is again, we're looking for people who have baseline knowledge. We're not looking for the three of us that are in this room that have been practicing. Like I'm I'm the most green therapist in this room and I'm almost at nine years. So that's what right? I'm saying. We're not talking about us. We're talking about people who have a baseline knowledge to be safe mm. and somewhat effective. And the expectation from the CMTO and from the general public is that everyone's going to be taking continuing education, right? Mm -hmm. The expectation is you're going to constantly improve. You enter your practice and you're going to be a shit therapist when you start because most of us probably are, although Mark apparently was amazing. Um, (laughs) Most of us are probably not as, as good as we could be when we start, right? It's through practice and through seeing different bodies and through learning from other therapists and through Mm -hmm. taking courses that you're constantly improving. So even if you started out as, you know, I make fun of this student because he really was a fucking disaster. I would love to get in touch with this guy again. What a disaster. If you're listening, text me. I lost your number. Um, maybe he became a really great therapist. I don't know. I haven't spoken to him in six years. Mm-hmm. But maybe he got the licensing exam. He went out into practice. And maybe he fell in love with the profession. Because I won't lie to you. When I first came out of school, I wasn't even that excited to be a massage therapist. Hence, I didn't even register until four or five months after I finished my exams because I liked the job I was at. And I wasn't sure if this was going to be the career I wanted. Once I got into it and I started, I was like, yes, I love this. And then I started to try to learn things. And then I started to take it more seriously. I don't think that I even took it super serious as a student. I was working full time. Mm -hmm. As I said, I had already been studying the body my entire life to the point where I felt that massage school was a little bit boring. So was it difficult in some areas? Yeah, totally. Like if I'd be lying to say like I remembered all of my neuro from university. No, of course, there was some areas that I had to study a little more. 
But I don't think I took it that seriously. It wasn't until I got out, fell in love with the profession and started taking it seriously. So I don't even necessarily think people that write the exams at the CA or do their OSCE or whatever, and maybe they weren't great. I don't think that doesn't mean they can't be eventually. I, I, I absolutely agree. And I just feel like as far as that level of greatness, the drive is up. I mean, that's on them. As mm-hmm. far as, you know, you've already chosen the profession, how you conduct yourself in your schooling is, to, your attitude will determine your altitude. How you get your work done is totally up to you. Mm-hmm. But, you know, as instructors, as organizations, and as, um, you know, with the professional body and with all the schools that want to, you know, uphold the profession, we need to make sure that our standards are streamlined across the board. So we don't have people who, you know, hey, it's your right to open up for the sake of opportunity and say, hey, I just want to make a bunch of money and get people's money through um, second careers yep. or through OSAP. And yeah, just make it, you know, make a killing. But yeah, you can, you can make even more of a killing if you're teaching a wicked course. So what do you mean by uphold the profession then? So uh, like, like this is, I, I can go either way on all of this. Are we just all seasoned therapists sitting on our high horse saying, you know what, this entry to practice thing is way too low of a standard. What the schools are doing is way too low of a standard. What the CMTO has as their pass, you know, to, to, to determine if you are safe and effective and you meet baseline for entry to practice, that's way too low. Or are we all just kind of heads up our asses? Do you know what I mean? And that's actually the way it should be. And we all need to bring ourselves down a notch. I'm a little bit on a high horse. I'll admit it. Do you see what I'm saying? But it is because we are where we are. If we're going to ride the high horse, then there should be less schools. The entry to school should be should be uh, a little bit harder to get into. The actual curriculum should be a little bit more difficult. Maybe the program needs to be a little bit longer. The licensing things should be a little bit harder, blah, 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 blah. Then blah. move us towards a degree program as well. I, mean, I think the CMTO needs to match I I really feel like the CMTO should have a much greater role in helping the schools streamline that. And as far as the level, however we we are supposed to perform at and whatever high horse we feel that we may or may not be on, we can justify it by everything that's been taken care of. So I'm going to say this then. It's the opportunistic schools that are fucking the whole thing up. Straight. That's it. Straight up. That's the answer. The opportunistic schools are fucking the whole thing up. Slow clap for the boy. Because I can, if I've got enough funding, I can put together a program. I can get it approved by the ministry. I can charge whatever the fuck I want for it. I can admit to it, whoever the hell I want to it. And at the end of the day, I wash my hands of it. And then there's people that go through that system and then that end up getting their license with base level knowledge or whatever the case is. But the bottom line, these are the therapists that we say are bringing it down. We want to uphold the profession, but these are the group of therapists that are pulling us down. Well, then they shouldn't have been able to do this in the first place. Look, Am man, I totally off on this? No, if, well, it's it's just that, as you stated before, you can be an awesome student yeah. that goes to a shitty school. Yeah. You recognize you go to the shitty stu- school, but if you're an awesome student, you're going to get the knowledge regardless. Mm-hmm. You're going to study your ass off. You're yep. getting the same textbooks. There's ways to find this information other than just from what's, your instructor. What's wrong with making this like physio? What's wrong with making this? There are only so many universities in Ontario that have a physiotherapy mm-hmm. program. And then in those physiotherapy programs, they only admit so many students per year. What the fuck is wrong with 
that idea. It can't happen because the opportunity for this capitalist environment to produce massage therapists by having the educational institutions that allow that to happen. I feel like, um, so two things, just um, as far as, just so I don't forget my idea. Um, Right. So first, hey, you have the opportunity to open up whatever business you want, like like I said before. But if you are going to give me the, you know what I'm saying, the watered down Gucci belt, you know what I'm saying? Like give me the, the, the bootleg version. At least give me a real leather belt, man. Make sure that there's some meat to it. If I know that the school is going to be, it's not going to have the government funding behind it. It's not going like like um you know a uh, uh, college would be cool. Then you know what? At least make sure that all the base things are there for me to get what I need, and that when I leave, I can speak the same language as everybody else, and I don't feel like I'm I have I don't feel like I'm I'm at a loss. I don't feel like I haven't learned what I needed to learn. And we all talk. We know you know friends who've been like, yo, that school is terrible. And we know schools that have closed because they were terrible. Voluntarily took themselves out of the game because they were right. terrible. But I also feel um, if, if, I don't know if you guys remember, but when nursing actually uh, got the degree program, when they became a degree, mm-hmm. massage therapy lobbied at the same time to become a degree program. So I think if there is the opportunity to do that again, I think we should. I think that it should be two different programs. So I have um, an ex-colleague who was hired to develop curriculum in another country, Mm -hmm. um, in India. And there was going to be two different programs. She was developing curriculum for what they were calling the medical massage students. Mm -hmm. And so that she was, she was wanting to use basically what we, what we learn here in Ontario. She wanted to have them go through all of the anatomy, physiology, pathology, neurology, all of it. And then there was going to be the other side of it, which was the spa massage therapy. Mm-hmm. So more techniques and relaxation, still with the knowledge of anatomy and physiology, but to a lesser degree. And and I think that if, you know, we're talking about changing curriculum, maybe that's what it should be where, you, you know, so for example, you know how you can go to um, any kind of career college and you can become a lab technician, but to be a lab technologist, that's different. You can go and become a an assistant at any school, like you can be a physio assistant at a private school, but to be a physiotherapist, that's very competitive. So maybe it can be that there is massage therapy, um, like diploma programs at any school, any opportunistic school that wants to have it. And then there can be sort of like a medical massage therapy degree program that you have to have an undergrad. And just like physio, you have to apply and only a certain number of people get in. That could probably get rid of a lot of confusion that can take away some of the gray areas. So if you went to this medical massage degree program and this is how you're practicing, well, then you're held to these type of standards and this is what you should know. And if you went through uh, the other massage program, then you don't have to have the same baseline knowledge. There can be two different colleges. There can be two different types of exams. It can be two totally different professions that are somehow interconnected. It just crossed my mind, and I want to make sure there was a um, there was an article um, that was released by Trish Dryden a long time ago. One of the one of the people who also inspired me to do massage therapy um, when I originally started in two thousand and one, but then left because I was doing work, school, and music, and then I had to survive on my own. <laughs> I was like, "Nah, man, I'm gonna come back and do this when I got my feet about me." But Trish Dryden was one of those people who was like, "For real, for real, we need to lobby for a degree program just because of the information that we have and the effect on on people." 
the effect on the body, the effect on their overall health, and the fact that we are a multi, multi we are a complementary therapy, not an alternative. There were a lot of things that she was really pushing for, and I think mm-hmm. I, I, I would agree a, a degree program would probably be awesome, and that would change the game. I, I don't know how I feel about, you know, there was maybe some mumbling about having different levels of massage therapists. But, but changing the game how? Like, how does the degree program change the game differently than if you just made it more exclusive? You end up with the same result. I've, All you're doing at the end of the day by making a, a degree program is you're making it more exclusive. You're making it, it harder it to get have into. To be a degree you're making program. it. You're making it. But the bottom line is you're making it harder to get into. You're making it less places that offer it. It's the same concept as as what we were saying before, right? Less schools, harder entrance. Harder to get into, more competitive to get into. It's the same concept. No, the only thing I was adding to it is saying that we could still have a massage program that was for people who specifically wanted to work in relaxation or in spas. Like that can still exist. Well, we have that. It's people that practice massage, people that do body work. They're not registered massage therapists, no, but they still but do massage. I think that they might go to places to learn between, to though. do massage. I think there's, I think there can be something in between. That's all I'm saying is it doesn't have to be. Yes, body work is within public domain, and anyone can do it. Anyone can do massage. Yeah. But I think there can be still a program for people who were specifically trained in massage, but to somewhat of a lesser degree as people who were trained in. I'm just terming it medical massage, like this colleague of mine who went to India to design curriculum. I liked the idea of the distinction, but still having training. Yeah. In the States, they have that. There's a distinction between someone who does medical massage in the States and someone who is just a, I I don't want to say just, but I just, you know know what I mean? Yes. All you LMTs and CMTs, I don't mean just, (laughs) right? But there's a distinction between someone who's done extra training and all the rest of it and has something hanging on their wall. But back to your original question by the way about are we are we the three of us seasoned therapists sitting on a high horse and whatever when i joked and said yeah i'm sitting on a high horse it's that i actually don't have such an issue to be honest with you with how massage therapy education is right now Mm -hmm. because i think the distinction happens naturally i i do understand why people want a higher level of education and i do understand why people um get up in arms when people don't take our profession seriously time because out, i time think out. sorry and I'm, you're gonna forget this but i don't want you to forget so remember you remember where you were going okay, can you just spit it out i've totally forgot yeah. <laughs> See, sometimes the build-up is unnecessary <laughs> My point is I don't even necessarily, I don't have a problem with the education. I don't really have a problem even with the fact that there's such a a variety in the knowledge that massage therapists have. And the reason being, again, is because I believe there's room for every type of therapist. I believe there's room for the therapist who's like, I don't really give a shit to know extra about neuro. I don't really give a shit to be the the expert. You're describing what is now. Did you not hear when I said, because I don't have a problem with how it is now? (laughs) Mm -hmm. I started the whole thing with saying, I have no issue with this. And I, because I think naturally- Everybody just finds their own patients and people, the general public are not fucking stupid. They can see who's the therapist that's going to help them. So for example, my client who just recently ruptured her Achilles tendon, okay, how many therapists has she seen? And she has stuck with me and Mark exclusively for however long since she's been seeing us because she has been to multiple therapists. She's an athlete and she understands what her body needs and she recognizes immediately when someone starts working on her. No, no, no. You don't quite have the knowledge of the athletic training that I do. 
you're not for me. So when she started seeing Mark, it was like, hallelujah, I finally found someone who gets me. And she stuck with him. One day he wasn't available. He referred her to me. I saw her. She's like, oh my God, there's two of you. And so now she sees both of us. So I don't, I just don't have an issue with it. And I, like I said, I was saying this to be more diplomatic, I guess, in that I understand therapists who get almost offended that we're all lumped in as one and the same. And I understand people who want this higher level of education. I get where it's coming from. But then I'm also on the side of how you started this whole thing with saying, are we, do we all just need to chill the fuck out a little bit? And like, we're just be happy being massage therapists and being in a profession that's really fucking cool. And that allows for such variety. And you can just practice the way you want to practice. And you could be as smart as a medical doctor, or as dopey as an Uber driver. Just kidding. No offense, Uber drivers. Uh, <laughs> you, you, you need a driver's license. It's not It's not that much of a skill. Let's just um, I'm going to call myself out for a second, just because if we're talking about uh, maintaining standards, and I'm going to go back to teaching, just because, um, like I said, I, I want to be vulnerable and I want to be very real with the stuff that I've gone through, because if there are any RMTs who want to, you know, further their profession they want to possibly get into teaching. I want to make sure that they're as prepared as possible and they hear as many um, stories from people who have done real things. In terms of that level of education and level of preparedness, uh, there was an opportunity that I had recently that I actually lost and I was not successful in continuing because I kind of dropped the ball as an instructor. And I see, I can step back and say, uh, I, I see where I wasn't as diligent as I should have been. Um, long story short, the students, you know, everybody went through the whole strike situation and I was like, okay, well, after the strike, a lot of the numbers dropped. I'm like, all right, you know what? This is a breeze. People like me. I can make them like me. You know what I'm saying? Like, this'll be, this'll be a breeze because I'm gonna just, I'm gonna let them get through this. And when they get through this and I can give them what they need. Cool. I began trying to be their friends. Mm. I tried to look at them as colleagues and like, talk to me like your colleague, like we cool. We're all right. And within the first couple of weeks, people were just not showing up. And I think also, you know, the beginning of the class, first thing in the morning, I would, you know, play some music, chill out, whatever, whatever. And when they were coming in. Were you too laid back for them? The, I, I feel like I was one, too laid back. And two, because I felt like I was prepared for a lot of the lessons but even the, the the curriculum design that was given to me, now that I'm, I'm taking this course, if you have more than 20 slides for a class, it's too much because people aren't going to pay attention. Once you get to the 20th slide, that should be the end of your day and then move to the hands-on stuff. If you have more than that, then what you should have done was sent a supplement for them to pre-read before they come and add that into, the, into, into whatever your curriculum is. And that's just retention. I was spending a lot of time trying to pull back material and blah, blah, blah. So when I got to the class, I'm like, you know what? I'm going to just teach this. And when they had questions, I'm like, oh, this isn't my class, but I'm going to try. So I looked like I had no idea what I was talking about when it came to certain things. And now we've got two issues. One, they're like, mm, does this guy really know what he's talking about? When I know I do, but this isn't my class. I'm prepared for this. The class that I was given the material for, I'm ready. But if you're going to talk to me about neuro, I got to go back in the in in the crates and maybe dig up some stuff so we can speak the same language. Nonetheless, I'm starting to look like I'm less credible. And now that I'm seeing these people are taking advantage and not coming to class, it's like, okay, well, now I got to start pulling up, pulling on the reins and playing the heavy. And I'm also getting frustrated because you're not showing up. And now I'm feeling like, is it me or the machine, man? Like, what's, why are you guys not showing up? So 
come time where you get your end of midterm review. So they send it to the students and you basically yep. review exactly what the what the class is like, what the teacher's like. There are many variables that can affect that, including like if people are frustrated and it's March break, they don't want to do it. They may just tick, tick, tick. Okay, send it. But I was unsuccessful with my review. And a lot of the things were like, it looked like they sat down and literally just put together the same answers to make me look like not only was I was I was a goof, they, it, it, it I can take responsibility for the things that I did poorly, but it was like, man, y'all were trying to, y'all were trying it. Like you were really trying to make sure that, you know, some people were honest about some answers, but other ones was like, you guys were really trying to make me look like a real goof, man. Mm -hmm. But at the end of it, the one thing that I took away and learned was, all right, well, when it comes to classroom management, you have to make sure that just like a casino, you take care of the house always the house first. So the material that needs to get taught, teach that. If there's a certain way that the school wants you to run the, run the program, run it. I, I would play music in the beginning of the class really for, my, for myself. If students walk in and I'm playing something cool, but I'm not, gonna, I'm not playing like 3-6 Mafia. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. I'm, not, I'm not playing death metal. I'm not playing booty music. I feel like I now understand, especially as, as an instructor, yes, I already respect the responsibility that you have, but I know that you got to make sure to keep that separation. We definitely are not friends. And as much as I want to be there for you to understand, you know, I want to understand if there are challenges or things that you're having so I can be an advocate for you. But at the end of the day, the school wants this. This is what we have to do. This is what we have to learn. And I need to show you that I understand what's going on. If there are challenges, I'm also not going to throw my fellow instructors under the bus and say, oh, this, this this curriculum is, is garbage. This is shit. I'm sorry, guys. I got a bad course. Um, I want to make sure that I can step back and say, okay, let me see what I can do in advance, fix this and make it happen. And then let them prove to you that you can, okay, maybe I'll step back a little bit and be a little bit more... Maybe have, you know, a, a more more general conversations about, hey, okay, so yeah, I do have a son. But you don't need to know his name. You know what I mean? Mm. Still still be able to show that I'm going to facilitate the class, but still show that there is a, a clear and defined line between instructor and student. And at the end of the day, I just, I think the reason I'm bringing this up is because I love teaching. I love learning. I am never going to stop learning. And this opportunity taught me that, you know what, I can always improve as an instructor mm -hmm. and I'm going to be a better instructor. And this, this situation bummed me out, but it definitely is not going to define me. I just know going forward as an instructor, I'm going to learn everything that I need to learn in the next opportunity that I get. I will make sure that I do encourage anybody else who wants to, to teach to make sure that they're doing everything that the house wants and make sure that you as an instructor are on point, but be also well-rounded, know all your stuff. I, I don't get enough of an opportunity to make sure that it's like, oh yeah, you know what, I forgot about this technique, or ah, I forgot about this response in the body if you do blah, 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 blah. Make sure that you know your stuff because it will help you and people will throw questions at you that, <laughs> that you're not ready for. <laughs> but here's the flip side. Students will definitely take as much advantage as you give them. Holy shit, people will take, they, you give an inch, they will take a mile for real. And I feel like students have more excuses than uh, adult students have more excuses and well thought out excuses than Didn't younger children. Didn't it blow your mind? I mean, Mark and I have talked about this many times. I'm sure he's got a lot of stories. But didn't it blow your mind? These are people when 
when you're teaching in a massage therapy school, these are people who are paying a lot of money for this Mm -hmm. and they want this to become their career. This is something very specific. This is not going to university and taking like a general bachelor's degree, you know, undecided major. You are picking something very specific that you would think as a student that you want to understand this and learn it. Mm-hmm. And it used to blow my mind, as you said, at the excuses. Um, I was a clinic supervisor, so I wasn't really like right in the trenches with you guys. But we were just talking about this before you came in, how I would have students come into the clinic. They'd have like two or three clients that they'd have to treat in each clinic shift. And I'd have someone come in and look at their schedule and see that all of their slots were filled mm-hmm. and they were literally like fucking upset about it. Like I have to treat three people. I'm like, do you want to do this for a career? Yeah. Like, do you want is, this you, to be your job? You know, you'll have a lot more than that in a week. Come on, come on, come on. You have three people to treat. Three. Yeah. And that really blew my mind. I was like, why don't you like doing this at all? And I guess maybe it's different when you're getting paid for it. I don't know. Well, yeah, it's different when you're getting paid for it. It's different when you're a student. I mean, working in the field now, sure, that's what I do. I treat people. I don't have to worry about an oral practical assessments exam that's happening uh, the next I was day. Just, I, was thinking I don't about have that, yeah. to worry about the exercise physiology assignment that I have. I don't have to worry about the ethics fucking group project that no one else is doing shit with <laughs> and I'm the only one fucking doing anything in this fucking Yo, group. Yo, group works so, in right? university now? Yo, and I s- could strangle people. Exactly. And so now group I'm work. watching oh, the God. other people that are in my group that aren't doing anything not have patients and I've got three and I still got to fucking figure out how to put this project together. No, I don't want to fucking do this today. I don't know, man. When I was supervising, it was, sure, it was probably some of that, but just some of the laziness, like just really didn't want to treat. And I I guess maybe it's just because you're not getting paid for it and you're not in the mood to do it. But I just felt like, I mean, when you were in student clinic, you fucking loved it. I love student clinic. See? There are students who love it. Do you think this would happen if there's less schools? And, Are we back here? And and the and the and, and the entry to those schools is a little bit more competitive. Do you think you'd still have that same experience in student clinic as oft as often as you did? Hmm. I don't know. I mean, there's there's very serious students and there's not so serious students. But the yes. thing is, even the not so serious students, when they're applying to school and you're all gung ho, they can make you believe that they're the serious students. You know, we did an episode where I talked about the fact that I worked in admissions and people could make me believe mm-hmm. that this was a hundred percent what they wanted to do. They were a hundred percent in it. And, you know, the first couple of weeks of school, I'm seeing them and they're smiling and they're happy and they're excited. And then all of a sudden they're skipping classes and they're failing tests and they've got excuse after excuse after excuse. And, oh, I can't, I can't come to student clinic because I got to pick my kid up at daycare. But when you signed up for the school, we told you student clinic was at this time. And uh, well, now I can't do it. Well, hi, like they can, they will get through the cracks no matter what. I don't think it matters if it's super competitive. If you want to get in, you'll get in. I I think so. I think even if it's competitive, if you want to get in, you'll get in and then you can still become lazy. Well, you know what also happens at university in a physio program? The university is different. I thought you said we're not talking about if this is a degree. In a real school <laughs> in a real school when you fail a course you fail a course oh yep. totally yep. it's not 
Let's rewrite this test again. Yeah, you, you know what? You fail the course, I, you fail the course. Mm-hmm. You also, redo the course. I feel like there's a bunch of, like, just speaking to public school, yeah. this is that, that whole no child gets left behind policy has created so much entitlement. Fuck it, and leave it them behind. And it makes me so sick. Well, you have, you have a teenager now, right? I have a teenager. He's now 13. Yep. How is he as a student? He's he's good. Yeah, because um, he has dad on his case all the time. Well, I mean that's that's only one part of the equation. Both parents have to be on on uh, on the same page. That's well, I only that's know another you. podcast. I for only know day. you. <laughs> but um, he is a very bright young man, and the thing is, I, I will say this: if he knows he can get away with it, he will. And if he knows that he has to do the bare minimum, then he will. But when he when it comes to me, he knows that nah, you're not gonna cut corners, man. If you're going to do it, do it once, do it properly. And then you don't have to do it back. You don't have to do it again. Because there's a mistake or somebody notices the flaw, you'll have to go back and redo it. Why would you even create that type of frustration for yourself? How do you feel about the no child left behind thing? How do you feel about the fact that even if there's a student who really academically isn't quite at the level to move on to the next phase yep. how do you feel about the idea that we're just pushing everybody through the system now? i think it's a horrible idea do you agree that holding a student back can affect their confidence their self-esteem can lead to issues later in life or do you think holding them back eventually they will realize was the right decision i think that it can definitely cause confidence and esteem self-esteem issues we have to look at this from a very, I'm glad you brought up the idea of ethical dilemmas and ethical issues and such things like because that. Because we watched Star Trek last because night. Because we watched Star Trek last <laughs> night. <laughs> and that's it. Hold on, Star Trek. And, and, oh my gosh, Captain Kirk was a walking ethical dilemma. And, yeah. Oh, Jesus. And, and if you are going to look at this from ethical theory standpoints, this whole no child left behind thing is not the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few, which is very important to have a society run in a proper orderly manner. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, I, I, I don't disagree with you for sure. I don't, I'm not on board with this no child left behind thing. Um, it's been, it, I mean, so we're clear, it's been in practice for decades now. Right, right. <laughs> I don't, so. I don't like the idea that we're just pushing people through and just like guiding them through the system, not even guiding them, really pushing them through the system. And eventually, they're not going to be at par with the rest of their peers because they're just being pushed through. I don't ever agree with um, hurting a child's self-confidence or self-esteem. I just think there's got to be a better way. You know, do we not have enough funding in special education? Do we not have enough support? Well, we already know the answer is no, as you two sit here with no, no, no. And if holding a child back eventually is going to be the right decision. Maybe there's a way to do it without crushing that kid's soul. I'm confused because I'm old. <laughs> this is okay. why I'm confused when I'm old because I'm old. Why can't you fail a kid at school? Like, when did this become a thing? Is my generation that didn't have this coddling a child so fucking screwed up that we have to swing it around 180 and go no child left behind? I don't well, understand. Mark, let, let, let me, let me yes, highlight exp- it. explain it to let me. Let me highlight a few I'm things. I'm too fucking old to understand this shit. From an educational perspective, you, you now have to change programs and the types of things that you're doing in school so children aren't roughhousing and aren't as uh, as physical hence why they've taken away a lot of competition like when we go to our daughter's soccer games and they don't even keep score because lowering the amount of competition especially with young children is going to be lowering the aggressive behavior and you know the bullying and roughhousing and whatever because 
It's all for fun. Right. Nobody wins. Also, and nobody wins. That's my second point. So for us, um, we noticed, well, I'm sorry, we'll go back to the psychological conversation where um, when you go and you train and you go to an event and you're not receiving a ribbon, that's also disheartening and also can affect the esteem of, of children. So mm-hmm. everybody gets a was, participant ribbon. You, you, you mm-hmm. show up and even if you tried, you get a ribbon. Mm-hmm. Here's the problem. Everybody shouldn't get a ribbon. At the Olympics, well, because it's do not they real put, life. Do well, they put all 30 my, do they ex- put all 30 people exactly. on the podium? No, this bro. is my fucking Top point. Three. When, we didn't make it. Too when bad. does this become a thing? That's why I'm asking. Am I so fucking old? Is my generation so fucking screwed up that everything had to fucking change for the next generations for the better? Because I So here's the thing is is your generation so screwed up? A lot of them, yeah, probably. Not saying that what is happening now is right, but it I think it was, it's two different extremes. It used to be very competitive and there used to be, you know, we've all discussed the idea of the, the self-fulfilling prophecy and, and, you know, if you're constantly, we, we talk about this. Let me ask you a question. If you're constantly told that you are stupid, okay? Yes, I understand. You're stupid, you're stupid. And then also the way the, the next teacher in the next grade is going to view you is based on what the previous teacher said about you, right? So it's, here's Mark, he's stupid. And then he goes to the next grade. We know he's stupid. We know he's stupid. So it, it can become very difficult for a child like that. Totally get it. I totally get it. Academically. Name another country that trumps us academically. Trumps us? Yeah. All of them. Cool. Except the U.S. No child left I'm behind? I'm kidding. I'm no kidding about ch- my friends from the no, U.S. I'm no, joking. No child left behind in uh, another country that academically, statistically is at a much higher level? I don't know. I, I don't know the stats on this to even I, weigh I, in. I will, I will say, you I will speculate. say this. You can I, speculate. I, I mean, I think there's, there's, a couple, there's a couple variables as far as the educating kids. Yep. It's a little bit different too. Like... I feel like North Americans are just very lazy in general. Kids will learn what you teach them. There is a five-year-old somewhere strangling a python. You know what I'm saying? And we are like, you know, no, Tommy, don't put that glue in your mouth. And it's all right. I'm not going to yell at you. I'm going to use the the happy voice and give you the timeout. Frig that. We have definitely stepped back and been way too gentle with our children and... It's not helping them at all because once they get older and once we're like, okay, well, you don't understand this, but that's okay. We know where you gotta where you gotta fix this, and you'll move to the next grade. I think the intent was right, and I think it came from a good place because I think the intent of this entire thing was that just because a child may not be skilled academically, you know, we referred to somebody earlier as not being book smart or something. Just because a child isn't necessarily book smart doesn't mean that that child can't be successful in some way somewhere else. Totally and agree. that was the whole idea, mm-hmm. I think of where this started is that let's let's help children grow let's find what they're good at but it's not going to come with lazy teaching and or lazy parenting so i don't disagree with you parents have to be involved mm-hmm. i don't ever think that a parent should be going to a school and screaming at a teacher like you're not teaching my kid right no 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 it no. happens a l- man I, it happens a I, lot I, when no child left behind starts to slow down the academic process of my children now I'm going to get upset. Right. Because now they're not fully prepared. And you can tell me what things they're they're not successful in. But now what I want you to do is give me the tools or help me know what I need to do to help them be successful so they can move forward and be okay. Well, with- what Mark is also referring to, because we've had this discussion otherwise since we now have a child in school, is that we also see it in the way that the classroom is running. So the the teaching is always directed at... Um, the lowest level, whatever level 
the slowest. We're not politically to, uh, correct. I, you I just, say it the way you want to say okay, it. I, I can't. I can't figure out how to get. They it teach out. you the level to the dumbest kids. Yeah, essentially. Without, I was trying not to say it like that, but they they dumb everything down, or at least that's what I've seen. Where the curriculum is for this is what you should have as a baseline when you come into this grade. This is what you should know. So the children that are far above that are at a little bit of a disadvantage because that's the way that you're able to get everybody through and make sure that everybody's sort of like getting to the next grade, even though you're going to put them there anyway, is teach to the lowest level that's in this class. So now to save the self-esteem of the child who learns at a slower pace, we're stopping my daughter's potential academic progress. I, I feel like what should happen as a facilitator as an instructor is you should be able to which they already do you look at the the capabilities of all of the students you understand compared to this baseline how everybody is performing and if the children who are slightly higher or way higher are performing at a much different level then what you should be doing is matching that so if they're meeting the ba- meeting the baseline what other things can we do in class to make sure that we are not and using all of what them? i had said to mark is i believe that they do do that in older grades I might. I don't know. I only have a child in kindergarten, so I don't know what they're. And I mean, kindergarten. There's no curriculum in kindergarten. I mean, there is, but it's it's play based, right? But because our daughter seems to be excelling in in certain areas, like I mean, she's she's reading and she, you know, she's adding and she's. But that's not where they are in the curriculum. It sort of frustrates Mark. Like, why aren't they teaching her this? Because she knows this. And I said, I think that in these primary grades, they don't want to make such a distinction. I think right now it's a lot about observation. And they do do some of the adding and all of that. And I don't think it's going to hinder her education, in my opinion. He has a different opinion. But I think as they get older, they do sort of implement what you're saying where they look at, okay, this is the baseline and now there's certain kids that are going to be excelling. And I think they do try to challenge them academically or at least good teachers do. In every profession, there's good and bad. We just had a whole discussion about the shitty massage therapist and the good massage therapist. There's going to be teachers that are fucking amazing and there's going to be ones that just aren't. And that's okay. Because I think it, I, I don't know, I feel like it probably does balance out and the kids that were going to excel in certain areas are going to excel in certain areas. Um, I feel like, and, and I'm sort of thinking also just from um, an adult learning perspective, there is a lot of shifting to um, problem-based learning. And it's like, okay, well, now that we're talking about this, let's think about all the other things that could influence this. And you build off of it and you build a greater understanding. All right, I'm going to give you this article, read this. So we all come together and it just really builds off of that. Um, there's a lot of change happening, including digital learning with children as well, to help them retain things since, I mean... What? Screen time? I- <laughs> Don't even. Uh, so don't even we are not s- meant to be modern parents, by don't the way, because we see everything is bullshit. Right. Because I do think everything's bullshit. I know. I know you do. But I'm an idiot, but I do think everything's bullshit. You're but not an idiot. The, and don't call yourself that. You're not stupid, Mark. You're but if I'm that. but if I'm stupid, just say I'm stupid. <laughs> say so. Right? I'm um, happy not to receive the ribbon. I like I said, I think it came from a good I think it came from a good place. And I think that the in I think that this can, I think our children can still be saved. I think we can still 
help a child and foster their education and figure out what they're good at and not put so much emphasis on grades and still, you know, not hold them back without also giving everybody a fucking participation ribbon. Like Two there's got to be a middle ground. Two here. things. One, stop coddling your fucking children. They are a lot more resilient than you think. Totally. You do not have to put them in a bubble. You do not have to put their brains in a bubble. They are not going to turn into you know, the next Jeffrey Dahmer because you fucking let them play soccer or um, dodgeball. Some moron is trying to um, take dodgeball out of uh, out of curriculum because it's too aggressive. Yeah. See, these, these is what this is what I mean. I think we've gone so far away from what this original intent was. Like, oh, I'm Jesus. sitting <laughs> I'm sitting here laughing because we are all of a certain age in this room. And we all like the the look back at the memes and say like this is what it was like when I was a kid. These are the good old days. But none of us do. But it. we all agree that those were the good old days, and this is the way things used to be. And we're all parents who have little kids, and none of us ain't doing that shit with our kids collectively as a society. So, collectively as a society. So yes. tell me then, how does that work? Well, okay. The I have a big problem with those memes, actually, because I still do believe no better, do better. I don't believe that we should be riding around in classic cars with no seat belts or whatever, no car seats. I don't believe that. So when I see these memes of like, I drank from the hose and I stayed out till the streetlights were on. Yeah, because there weren't fucking rapists and pedophiles around every corner. So no, I'm not going to let my kids run around in the dark by themselves. Were there? I mean, there were, but pedophiles? there was less access on the internet. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> there you go. Right. But the point is, I don't like the whole um the whole argument of like we did this and we survived i'm looking at the behavior of this th this coddling and how it has you know turned into you know students in the massage therapy setting who feel like they are entitled oh well even though i wasn't in class you know i gave you a reason why i wasn't in class and i'm entitled to no 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 you know what the expectation is. You know that you're supposed to do A, B, and C, and you also know that you're supposed to be in class. So if you were not here and you didn't get it done, you can complain to whoever you want, but I'm not giving you a mark or giving you the opportunity to do something over. I don't care how great your excuse is. Broken record. I Does feel... this happen in chiropractic college? <laughs> I don't If think he could have so. dropped that mic, it would have been dropped. It's on a boom, so you didn't get to drop it, but right. fuck, if he could have dropped that yeah. mic. <laughs> I don't think so. Yeah. I don't think you get those excuses at physio school. But I really do. I, I appreciate both of you guys' um, perspectives in, in seeing and understanding, I guess, just how soft overall even just pulling it back to the massage therapy thing i guess just standoffish a lot of um rmt's instructors and maybe even the regulatory bodies have been mm. with recognizing okay well you know yes with um the 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 new design of evaluation maybe we will see different marks but again, if people are still getting through the system who don't necessarily deserve to be there, then we need to figure out exactly what it is that needs to be done to make sure that we don't have as many people fall through the cracks from the from the the board perspective and from the school perspective. This isn't the, we're not just trying to mill people through, man. We're trying to hold up our profession. We're trying to make sure that everybody's performing at a certain level. And if they're not performing at that level, it's it's only going to pull us all down. It's only going to make us all look like a bunch of goofs if one person makes a mistake, like the you know men are still 
for the lack of a better term, we're still unicorns when it comes to the profession because there's still, out of 14, 15,000 massage therapists, we're still the minority. But we have had the greatest effect on the profession in the last few years. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah, I do know what you're saying. Anyway. Know exactly what you're saying. Somebody fill me in. With your, the, your, the treat, your treatment of sensitive areas, mm -hmm. that comes from male therapists, mm -hmm. right? The No phones in rooms. The number of sexual misconduct sexual cases. Misconduct, the yeah. majority mm -hmm. of them are coming from males. And that leads to things like spike in your fees because, Professional misconduct. because the CMTO now has to pay out for hearings and investigations and blah, blah, blah. So for males being such a small percentage of the population of massage therapists, we've actually impacted <laughs> a lot of what happens at that level. Sorry, I, I guess I misunderstood because when he said it, I almost thought he was saying like the most, and this was just me assuming, I thought you were saying the most positive impact, but apparently. No, no, no. Please, <laughs> please, please don't awaken the feminisms. <laughs> <laughs> the feminists out there who's thinking I'm trying to no that's not what I'm trying I'm to not, I'm not trying to wake any feminists <laughs> don't worry did don't he worry. say the man's is doing the bet? no, that's, no that's, <laughs> <laughs> I'm messing with you there's corrupt doctors there's oh corrupt yeah oh. There's, there's a fucking OB at North York General you... who's inducing women so that he, they will have babies on the weekend did because he makes this? more money then did you wow. hear that story that I did not hear oh my gosh there's an OB uh, he uh North York General, right? He delivered the most babies in that hospital for the year. And they're like, how the fuck does this guy, how does this happen, right? And on top of that, the way OBs work, the way OHIP pays them, they, they get actually paid more to deliver babies when oh, it, when it happens, when it happens on gosh. a, when it happens on a weekend, okay? So this guy. Let me hear the words oxytocin or pertussin come up in this conversation. This, I'm curious now. This guy, he apparently went through a divorce. At least this is how I've heard it like third and second hand. He went through a divorce and got took to the cleaners on through his divorce. Cool. So now he's on call many, many weekends. And, mm -hmm. you know, these are not his patients because he's just on call. But he can get paid more if they deliver babies on the weekend. So he has been administering them drugs, right, that'll act as um like an accelerator almost yes but he's been using oh. a drug that has not fda approved for pregnancy it's a drug that's been approved for something else and one of the side effects of that something else is it can cause uh uterine contractions to happen yeah and so when uh, some of these women were getting checked out by the nursing staff the nurses started to notice a pattern that all of these women were having symptoms of being induced and when they were asked you know were you were you induced? All of them said no. So he was doing everything obviously without consent. And it was so that these women would deliver their babies where he could make the most money. Allegedly. Allegedly. What do I know? Man, I want to, I really want to. Yeah, you got to read those stories later. But anyway, yeah. the point is in, you know, we've been talking about, we went, basically this entire conversation has been about um, upholding the profession. I don't disagree that we have to. It's just, again, it comes back to why the fuck do massage therapists have to fight so much? There's the most corrupt doctors. There's the most corrupt lawyers. There's the most corrupt dentists. You hear of sexual assault in all of these other professions as well, but it's like massage therapists have to fight. Poor male massage therapists always feel the need to fight. Do you think male doctors feel that way? No, it's the exact opposite. A female doctor has to prove herself Whereas the male doctor is held up to be the fucking king of the world and they've knows been, all been and everything. Right. And yet time. a male massage therapist and 
I mean, we're talking OBs. They're getting much more up close and personal than Mm -hmm. you guys are. And yet you guys have to get, well, me included, but because of you guys, have to get our patients to sign a form saying that we can work on a muscle in your glutes, which is just a muscle, but an OB can just bing. (laughs) <laughs> I did a really good hand gesture there. <laughs> I don't think any parts make that sound, but I would pay money for it. <laughs> but the point is, I mean, even for example, I just learned this because now that I've attended my first birth as a doula, we just talked mm-hmm. about this off mic, and I was reading um, on another doula's Facebook page things that, you know, you may not know as a pregnant woman going into labor. A cervical check, each cervical check requires consent. Mm-hmm. Does any doctor ask for consent or do they run in in their two seconds of that they're giving you their attention and say, I'm going to check your cervix now? It's a little strange because the Healthcare Consent Act has three parts to consent. Consent can be written, consent can be verbal, or consent can be implied. Totally understand that. But again, it's even in the way they speak because I I was just at the birth. They literally come in and it, I get it. They're busy. They're the one OB when I was at the hospital delivered 15 babies in that one 13 hours that I was there. Wow. 15 babies. I don't even know how she did that. Was it a weekend? It was. It was a long weekend. Cha-ching. So this woman comes in. It's like a $300 jump how much you get paid. Oh, yeah. It was a lot. lot. I think it's like $450 that you get paid if it's during the week from OHIP and then it jumps up to like $750 if it's on a weekend. This may be my last professional, unprofessional hour, yo. I may be switching professions. Right. (laughs) But anyway, the point is this OB would come rushing in i actually didn't know who she was mm-hmm. which again like i know i'm the doula she has no obligation to talk to me or whatever but she comes in i have no idea who she even is and just says to the the mother all right we're gonna check your cervix and then it happened yes the consent is implied but even the wording why wouldn't you just say is it okay if we do a check now like how hard is that we have to be so fucking careful that everything we say is do you understand do you have any questions do i have your consent i don't think well i i, I don't believe any I got to I got to be careful how I word. No, you, no don't. you don't. <laughs> You're right. Fuck it. I feel like <laughs> just because massage therapy as a profession has had, you know, the massage therapy scandals and so much so much to contend with, it was n- no other profession I, I I would say has had the same type of issue while they were changing their legislation and while they were changing the profession. Like doctors have always been doctors. And you have people who take advantage of the doctor role, but it's always been, you're a doctor. Massage therapy came from nursing. And then under the Drugless, the Drugless pra- Practitioners Act, things changed to the Healthcare Consent Act, then the um, uh, the Massage Therapy Act. All the other acts were enacted to be able to protect the profession because people were now saying, all right, well, if we can become a, mas- a masseuse or a masseur, anybody can do whatever they want. And that's where the, the, the issues happened with a lot of people the scandals and the neon lights and tinted glass, you guys already know how that goes. I don't think any other profession has had a lot of that type of issue and won't face that kind of scrutiny. So even to this day, when people say massage therapy, even though there has been a great greening effect and people using more complementary healthcare as opposed to saying, I'm I, I'm, I'm going to take drugs, we still have to contend with the, oh, so you do massage, you, you do massage, huh? What kind of massage do you do? We, we're we're, we're going to have that. I think that's a that's now just become like humor that will never go away. I don't think, I don't know. I don't really encounter many people who actually believe that they get a happy ending. I don't know. Do you? Me? No. Uh, yeah. I don't, I don't really hear, 
I, I don't really hear it myself. And I guess probably because I'm... There's not many people that want me to give them a happy ending. <laughs> <laughs> I do. You seem a little upset about that. I so. do. You know, there's there are scandals in every profession. And yes. again, it just comes down to the fact that massage therapy in, in the eyes of healthcare and in the eyes of the general public is the lowest rung of healthcare. So we are looked at in a different light. If a doctor does something unfavorable, if a doctor does something scandalous, if it, you know, if a doctor helps someone assisted euthanasia, or if a doctor does something in terms of sexual harassment or abuse or whatever, it's just that doctor that is bad. It's right. not the profession you know, of uh, uh, medical doctors. Uh, Especially with all the shit that happens and, and, and the way the College of Physicians and Surgeons handles these things to the general public, it does look like, hey, you doctors are, it's a, you're all boys club is taking care of itself. And that's how a lot of these things end up happening. So for example, Bill 87, Protecting Patients Act, mm-hmm. that probably spawned out of a whole bunch of, you know, it, what appears to be doctors covering for, for sure. each other, yeah. right? I mean, that that partly is the media where they take a story and they spin it. So for example, before all of this transparency that that all these colleges have agreed that they're going to now do, it was always the case of, yeah, hey, we have this kind of investigation that happens. There's not really much that's said about it. It's actually not made public until there's some sort of decision. And then the way the media handles that is like, oh, well, there's an investigation, but the public should know because this person is still practicing and therefore it looks like you guys are all just covering for each other i feel like just because um media is very different these things end up coming out a lot faster than than people think and stories whether they're you know they're validated or not they're they're gonna get to the public eye yep um it may not fit the same the same mold in terms of the topic what we're talking about but let's say for example seeing that there are a lot more race-based assaults um, when it comes to the police or we're, we're seeing a lot of changes like that. Mm-hmm. Will Smith recently in the last you know few years said racism is not racism is not getting worse it's just getting filmed mm-hmm. yep. so absolutely true. I feel like this is also what's happening with everything. Whether it's totally. healthcare, whether it's if you have an issue, somebody's going to know about it. And if yep. if there's a phone within hands reach, which it usually is, everybody's going to know about it. For real, it will blow up a lot faster than you want to. Mm -hmm. Literally everything, anything you want to know, there will be weeks that go by that I don't actually watch the news. Mm -hmm. Um, Either I'm too tired once the kids go to bed and I just want to like put on Netflix and fall asleep. Mm -hmm. But there will be weeks that I don't watch the news. And I never feel like I don't know what's going on because all I have to do is open Facebook or like open my phone in some way and... There it is. Everything is there. Everything that is going on is is just blasted everywhere. How do you feel about this endless news cycle? Just out of curiosity, because this uh, it made me think of this, because we were talking the other night about Netflix and about TV shows and things on demand. And I was kind of expressing, like, I kind of miss the day when there was, like, three networks. There's ABC, there's NBC, and there's CBS. And guess what? Everyone in the mm-hmm. fucking country is watching the same shit at the same time, you know, or at least for your time zone. Yeah. And I kind of miss that idea. And then that made me now start to think because of this endless news, this 24-hour <laughs> 
news cycle that happens. I just want to know what's your take on it. What's my take on it? Yeah. Do you like the endless news cycle or do you not like the endless news cycle? Um, That's a loaded question. Does well, the endless news cycle make a difference in your overall view of humanity? Does the yes. endless news cycle make things a little bit less meaningful? Um, I think that unfortunately, most of us, myself included, are very desensitized. I think, you know, you hear about wars, you hear about this shooting and that stabbing and this accident and this house fire and this murder-suicide and this kidnapping and this Amber Alert. And it's honestly at the point where you can't let everything affect you or you'll be fucking depressed and you will be the next headline. But at the same time, sometimes I have to just shut off from it. And part of why I don't watch the news every night is sometimes I just can't fucking handle anymore. Sometimes I can't hear about how bad climate change is, how ridiculous politics are. How, like I can't hear it because then you start thinking about, I just brought children into this fucking miserable world. <laughs> Like, what? Why would I do that? And so I have to turn to something a little bit happier and maybe have to uh, follow the ignorance is bliss path for a little while. So you mean that, that that last news piece that they always do, the happy feel good piece, that's not enough for you, eh? It's not enough. You know what? I want to know about the music, though, because we talked the massage, we talked sure, the teaching. Mate. I, I yeah. want to know about the music. Tell me a little bit more, more about you, sir, as an artist. Oh, man. Um, yeah. This is the first time I've been singing for a long time, I, just because I loved it as a child. Um, both my parents owned a record store when I was younger, and I listened to all kinds of music. I mean, first full album I listened to was Synchronicity by The Police. Nice. It's a good album. Really good album. Um, Sting, to this day, is one of my favorite writers. Just enjoyed singing. My eldest sister was singing around the house, and it just saw I saw how much joy it brought her. You know what I'm saying? People went to church, they were singing there too. I'm like, oh, something to singing thing. Kept singing. It wasn't until high school where I met some dudes there at a talent show, competed against them. And, uh, Where'd you go to high school? Uh, I went to West Hill. Okay. And then Cedar Bray for my last year. They called me a year later and said, yeah, well, we remembered you from the talent show. We need another singer. And I was like, all right, cool. And from then, um, from the age of like 14 until 27, I performed with them. We toured Canada, um, nominated for Juno, won a Canadian Urban Music Award, um, opened for some pretty cool artists like Usher, mm -hmm. 98 Degrees, Foxy Brown. Like we did, we did some really cool stuff. I put a lot of work into music. As in, you know, my friends were all going to hang out for weekends or going to cottages or going away to Cancun and stuff. And I was like, oh, no, I got studio or I got to go rehearse or I got to blah, blah, blah. But I see the accolades that we got from the amount of work that we did. Right. Um, we were signed to two different labels in Canada. Which labels? Uh, EMI and Universal. Um, both of them um, are no longer around. But Full deals? Um, no. The first was a development deal it went belly up because the individual who got us the deal ended up leaving the company mm -hmm. and we were left with people who had no idea what to do with us we're like okay well you're not doing anything breach the deal we're keeping right. everything right. second one with emi was um also a development deal but we had a little bit more because of the work that we put behind us yep and i think because emi at the time when we finished our album and actually put it on the shelves we had no idea that they were firing 50% of their staff internationally. <laughs> so it's like, all right, well, we got shelved literally the minute that we got put out. I ended up, you know, it was a weird place because we weren't sure, okay, well, what's our problem? Changed the name a million times and we're like, it's not the name of the group, it's the material that you put out. And we also, you know, we did some cool stuff, but we actually wrote songs for ourselves and felt like, well, we're going to do what we want. It's not how business works, man. 
It is not. <laughs> so, you know, if you want to compete, you have to compete at an international level. You've got to compete at a level where people are going to say, okay, well, we're not going to come. No one wants to be compared. But if 112 is the group doing stuff right now, do you sound like boys to men or 112 can we put can we play their song and then play your song right after and it sounds like it fits and we're yep. like well we don't we're not trying to be put in the lane we're trying to just write the songs that we want to write and okay you can do that but that's you know the path less travel is a very very difficult yeah the music to... industry is such a weird fucking go and to be honest with you, not a lot of people also realize the talent that it takes to be in the music industry like you'll see an artist and you're like oh they're okay but you're questionable don't... nowadays <laughs> it's a little questionable but, but it does it does take a certain amount of something right the people so, who have longevity yes oh definitely like one hit wonders are a whole other story and one hit wonders are all about a song anyway right they have a very marketable type of song but i mean it's it, it takes tons of fucking talent and commitment tons absolutely tons especially when you see someone performing even if you fucking hate the performer and you think they're a shitty performer but you know what they're performing fucking effortlessly or they make it look effortlessly that ain't a oh, easy took, thing to fucking do it took a lot of work do. to get there man oh, and yeah. it, from from performing then until like i after leaving the the second label, after they went belly up, yep. we actually got into a little bit of a fight. I, who's, I who's, we, we. who's we? <laughs> Myself and the youngest member of the group. What, um, was, what was the fight about? Long story short, we were opening for... How about um, long story long? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> it was Young Buck from 50 Cent's camp. We were split down the middle between four guys. Okay, well, one half felt we should do our own material, which was not exactly like... 50 cent crowd material yeah you know what i'm saying like if you're going to a hip-hop concert that's got like young like we're talking about i'm not gonna say gangster hip-hop but like thug music you know what i'm yeah. saying i'm not gonna show up singing girl if i told you i love you like yeah. i'm not yeah, no yeah. And the other half was like, nah, man, we should... Well, yeah, so the first half was saying we should do our own stuff. Other half was saying, nah, we should cater to the crowd. Mm -hmm. It was a long, drawn-out conversation. Where, where did you sit on that? I was like, yeah, we should cater to the crowd. Absolutely. Like, this is this is the audience. I'm not going to show up to a Luciano Pavarotti concert and sing Young Buck songs. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. You got to cater to the audience that's there. Mm -hmm. And this is the audience, so we should be catering to the audience. Eventually, I was like, you know what? We're we're spinning our wheels. If I'm one of the people that's holding up the progress, I'm sorry. Let's just stop. Mm -hmm. I, I'm, my bad. I'm just for the team. Let's go. The youngest one and I always kicked off, just like siblings do. And he just kept chirping me the whole time and saying, oh, yeah, oh, he's ready now, guys. So we got to do this. And I'm like, no, that's not what I'm saying. Mm -hmm. I'm saying, let's just do this as a team. Okay. He says, do it as a team. And he kept chirping me for at least 15 minutes. I mean, yeah. I had patience. And it was like, I ended up throwing my phone that was in my hand at him. It just so happened to create a cut above his eye. And that was the end of the conversation. Mm. I lost my cool. I shouldn't have lost my cool. We ended up doing the show. He had a huge black eye. It was not cool. I just said, if we have to argue about music again, let's just not. Of course, tensions were a little bit high since the label fell under as well. Mm -hmm. The second label, we ended up arguing again. So I ended up leaving to go do more songwriting. I still wanted to be involved and do something with music. So then I did Canadian Idol and I, you know, looked at any opportunities that I could to write and to travel and to just learn as much as I could from people. Mm -hmm. um, I didn't do as much traveling as I could have, but I was in a different place. Like I was doing more massage therapy then and trying to get my legs about me as a, as an instructor. But now I'm like, you know what? I, I know how I feel when I sing my own stuff, when I create music, 
when I can look back at a at a project and say, you know what, I'm really proud of this, regardless if it's for somebody else or for myself. And I'm at a point where it's like, okay, I, I feel like I want to actually start writing music that other people can appreciate. So if I'm singing about a feeling or a mood or a you know a topic that I think other people would appreciate and a perspective that they would appreciate, I, I can do it in an effective way where it's like, ah, okay. I, I it'll, I'll do well, and I will be happy with not singing karaoke all the damn time. Ninety <laughs> percent mm. of what I do now, I love gigging. I love performing. I just did Harborfront uh, Island Soul this year during Caravana, yeah. and this is the third time that the band was called back for that. But this is like the seventh time that Harborfront's called us back to do stuff. It's fun performing and fun getting people into it and involved. But I, I think I would feel a lot more fulfilled writing and performing songs that are mine. That's where I'm at with music, man. Still writing, still doing my thing. I, I've been wanting to say this since you said, let's talk about music, because we talk about music a lot on the podcast. Yes. Our friend Robert Glean, who mm-hmm. was on the show, and he sang, by the way, so you're going to have to sing at the very oh, end of this. Oh, here we go. Uh, he posted something on Instagram, and if it's on Instagram, it must be true. It says, did you know singing daily for 10 minutes reduces stress, clears sinuses, improves posture, and can help you live longer? So sing, my friend. Oh, I thought you were asking me to validate the, uh, validate the quote. It's okay. We have been talking for like three hours, so... There's nothing left to do but sing us out. Now I got to think of a song to sing. You've got your country voice on. I can't even do it. Country. 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 <laughs> That's actually the accent that I use. Ever. It's my my fall, my fail safe, my fallback. Um, the country song, Whiskey Lullaby by Brad Paisley and Alison Krauss. I'm going to do it in the country accent. Why? <laughs> because it's more effective. They know how to write a Yay, song. Yay, I thought you were playing dodgeball and just trying nope. not to sing. Okay, go. Okay, now I gotta, I, gotta, <laughs> I gotta get the words in my head. She put them out Like the burning end of a midnight cigarette She broke his heart She spent, he sp- yeah, he spent his whole life trying to forget we watch him drink his pain away a little at a time. But he never could get drunk enough to get her off his mind until the night. He put that bottle to his head and pulled the trigger. He finally drank away his memories. Life is short, but this time it was bigger than the strength he had to get up off his knees. We found him with his face down in the pillow with a note that said, I love her till I die. And when we buried him beneath the willows, the angel sang a whiskey lullaby. La 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 la. That's the first time I've ever sang this country Woo! song. That's crazy. Just the writing behind it. So dope. Yeah. Appreciate you. Thank you. Have you ever heard that song before? I must have. Oh, yeah. I'm just checking. Alison Krauss also sings a, a beautiful verse in that song. It's mm. pretty. It's pretty. But just that the was strength. pretty. She put him out like the burning end of a midnight cigarette. Yo, whoever wrote that? Jeez. I want lessons. <laughs> For real. <laughs> All right. Friday. I appreciate you guys highly. Right on, brother. You guys have been listening to Two Massage Therapists in a Microphone. Peace.